Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Big wheels keep on turning. Proud Mary keep on burning. Rising, rising. Rising on a hedron. Right. All right. Some credence to start the day. CCR. CCR. ZNR. Zendikar Rising. What's up, everybody? Y'all are watching slash listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How is it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Okay, so preview season is over, which means it's now set review season. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is set review season. It's been a while, it feels like, since we've done a set review, honestly. It feels like we did nothing but set reviews for like six weeks straight, (laughs) and then we didn't do them for a little while, and that felt weird, and now we're back. So this is our best new commanders set review for Zendikar Rising. So uh, recently, we started splitting up the set review because it got too long. So in this episode, we're going to cover just the legendary creatures, the cards that can be the commander of your deck. And then in a future episode, we will do all the cards that are meant to go in the 99 of your decks. Yeah, but before we get into it, Wow, we're going to mention a lot of cards today, a ton of synergies, a lot of sweet build-arounds, as well as some things that you may not have realized were even cards, because, of course, with new sets and new mechanics becomes comes new things that you may never have remembered or, or forgot about entirely in Magic. And to get those cards, a long-winded way of getting around to it, go to cardkingdom.com slash commandzone. There you can pick up singles from Zendikar Rising, anything that you want to buy sealed product-wise, boxes, booster boxes, VIP packs, collector's boosters. There's a whole list of things these days. I can't even get track keep track of it yeah i can't but <laughs> if you want to keep track of it the best place obviously to do so is at cardcamecom slash command zone that's our affiliate link it's so easy you just type it in and boom you're on the website it's the exact same shopping experience but now you get the satisfaction of knowing you're supporting this podcast plus you get the cards in the best condition and to you the fastest yeah. of anybody card kingdom really is the best at getting your cards straight to you in great condition and then once they are to you you want to you, you want them to remain in good condition, right? So yes. put them into an eclipse, maybe one of those new pro gloss eclipse sleeves so that the oh, cards yeah. uh, maintain their vibrancy when yeah. you're playing them. And the shimmer of the yeah. gloss. <laughs> maybe put uh, whatever deck they're going into, into, you know, you've probably had that deck box for a while now, right? Like you're mm-hmm. looking at it and you're like, man, it's been in the same deck box for like a few years now. Maybe it's time to upgrade to one of these new mythic collection boxes Ooh. that Ultra Pro has out. They're really snazzy. They got stitching. There's like a stitched embossed planeswalker symbol yeah, they're, they're super classy great the magnets are actually really strong on these look at jimmy Ugh, i'm yeah. like trying to open it this just makes sure that when you're traveling with it it is not going to come apart yeah. it also has a sweet little compartment for dice and stuff which is why i love the ultra pro product they really have pioneered what this is sort of like the go-to deck box design now and oof, look at this it's just so solid I would put my deck in this. Yeah, super classy. Uh, so Ultra Pro, also a big supporter of this show. And the final way you can support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. You get all kinds of perks like talking to Jimmy and I on our Discord every yeah. single day. You get to see extra turns, which just came out. Oh, uh, nice. It just came out for the public, but it came out even earlier for the patrons because they get extra turns in game nights. They get access to those before anybody else. Ad-free as well. Yeah. And uh, also, we call out or shout out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to... Wyatt Wyatt Drake. Wyatt. You rock. You rock. That is a, like a comic book name for sure. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Wyatt Drake. All right. Definitely protagonist name. <laughs> not, a, not a bad guy. Wyatt Drake is like... Yeah, that's yeah, definitely yeah, a good sure. guy. 
Uh, okay, so let's get into the main topic here. Zendikar Rising, new commander review. We got a lot to go through, so... <laughs> yeah, let's get started let's get here. Into it. Let's talk about the new slash returning mechanics from this set. There's a, a really interesting new one. Yeah, it's called the Party Mechanic, and this is very much almost Dungeons & Dragons inspired in a way. There have been a couple of cards in Magic's history now that... In that go towards the idea of a party but a party is a new mechanic that rewards you for having specific creature types on the battlefield under your control and it's going to do a lot of things it's going to affect cards when they enter the battlefield it's going to make certain spells cost cheaper uh and it's really exciting because this is kind of leading up to the D set which is coming up in 2021 called forgotten realms in the well, it's party based on forgotten realms i don't think we know if it's called forgotten realms do we oh i don't know yet actually but it is going to be a dungeons and dragons x magic crossover and, and forgotten have- realms is like a a, a dungeons and dragons like world or whatever yeah. i'm just really hoping there's a drista orton character and an artemis and because i love those books when i was a kid i really i can't wait for that set it's gonna be really exciting but a party is a cleric a rogue a warrior and a wizard that's a full party so let's read a card that uses this mechanic from zendikar rising so this is just a common it's kabira outrider three and a white for a three three human warrior but it says when it enters the battlefield target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn for each creature in your party and your party consists of up to one of each cleric, rogue, warrior, wizard. So this could maximum give because it's, your party consists of up to one of each. So the most it could give is plus four, plus four. If you had a cleric, a rogue, a warrior, and or a wizard. Mm-hmm. So it could be plus zero, plus zero as well. If, well, it's a warrior. So Kabiri, it's yeah, exactly. They'll usually be in a party in themselves. Yeah, so it's at least plus one. Some require you to have a full party. You have to have one of each thing in order for its thing to be turned on. Some just count like how many mm-hmm. pieces of the party do you have and then we'll do that amount of whatever. So party mechanic, it's on a few of the legendary creatures so it's going to come up. Yep. Uh, the next is Kicker, which is an old returning mechanic. It was from Zendikar, I believe, originally. It's really simple. It's just an additional cost you can pay as you cast the spell, similar to something like Overload, but that's an alternative cost. This is just like, hey, if you can pay this extra mana, you get an extra effect. Yeah. So uh, Maddening Cacophony is the example, one in a blue for a sorcery, but as kicker of three in a blue, and it says each opponent mills eight cards. If this spell was kicked, instead each opponent mills half their deck rounded up. Wow. So for six mana, mill half the deck. But for two mana, three opponents, that's a yeah. lot. 24 cards from two mana. The, uh, the joke in magic design is that every mechanic is just some form of kicker. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, all right. And the big one, because... It's Zendikar. We we always know that Zendikar is going to have this mechanic basically every time <laughs> um, because Zendikar is a set that's all about lands and the landfall mechanic always goes along with Zendikar. So it's no different here. Uh, Canyon Jer- Jerboa what a cute is card. the example. It's two and a white for a one-two mouse, but it has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, that's what landfall is. It always has that uh, sort of trigger text, and then it does something different. So this says, whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. Very nice. But it can, like, make tokens or mill your opponents or all kinds of things when landfall happens. You've seen this on cards before, so. Yep. And, of course, if you have a land, like, in Evolving Wilds, if you crack it, you're going to get a double landfall trigger because the land coming in also counts as it. But we'll talk a little bit more of that in a second. Uh, the last example is this interesting new, brand-new mechanic called Modal Double-Faced Cards. Yeah, speaking of lands. Yeah, which is, or, or as uh, they refer to it as Modal DFCs. Not the most attractive name, but basically what these are are cards that you can choose which side you cast when you cast it. They're going to have things that are happening on both sides. However, in some cases, it can be a land on one side and a spell on the other other 
which is pretty cool. So let's talk about one. Then the first is uh, Seagate Restoration, which is the more fancy version with a spell on one side and a land on the other. On the front side, for four blue, 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 it's a sorcery. This is draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand plus one, and you have no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. However, on the bottom left, you can see it has a low arrow and it says land and then says tap add for blue because when you flip it over, it becomes Seagate Reborn, which is a land. And as it enters the battlefield, you may pay three life. If you don't, it enters the battlefield tapped and it's simply a land that taps for blue mana. So this is the legendary creature review. So we're not going to go into a lot about this, but it's interesting to note that these there's a symbol in the top left corner of these which indicates which is the front side and which mm -hmm. is the back. So if it has one triangle, it's the front side. If it has two, it's the back. And then these are not like flip cards in that you can't actually flip them. Right. They're more like choice cards. You choose, I would call them like the choice lands. There are lands that are lands on both sides. Yep. So on one side, it taps for a red and one side, it taps for a green. And you choose when you play it, which side you're playing it. And then it just stays on that side as long as it's on the battlefield. Yeah. And so the spell, the ones that have spells and lands are the same. You're like, oh, I'm going to cast this uh, side of it because I have that amount of mana. Or, oh, I'm in turn three. I'm just going to play this as a land this yep. turn. Um, so those are just interesting things to note. But it's not going to come up a lot for this particular review. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk about them a lot yes. more in the, uh, in the 99, in the normal set review. Because I think a lot of them are playable in Commander. Yeah, and if you have a way to get the land back to your hand or the spell back from your graveyard into your hand, then you can choose again to yep. cast it differently. Uh, and they they also count as different things in different zones. So the rules of that we'll definitely go into. Yep. Okay. Uh, one thing here, back to landfall. Landfall is going to be pretty important for a lot of the cards we're going to talk about today. So we just wanted to, at the top here, talk about sort of the landfall staples or all the the common cards you see when landfall matters. So we just don't have to keep mentioning them all the time throughout the episode. Yep. So the first, again, landfall triggers when you have a land enter the battlefield under your control. So there's a bunch of different ways to do that on top of the regular land that you play every turn. The first are just lands that fetch. So we mentioned this already. Evolving Wilds and Terramorphic Expanse are all lands you play. You tap them, you search for a basic, put it onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle your library. That's going to be two landfall triggers. Polluted Delta and the fancier, more expensive fetch lands and what we normally call quote-unquote fetch lands, those are the same basic idea with landfall. Then there's stuff like Myriad Landscape, uh, Cross and Verge, yep. those type of other cards. They also go fetch their lands that go fetch other lands. So In this case, Myriad Landscape gets two additional lands on the battlefield, so you're going to get two landfall triggers when you eventually activate it. So, so that one land actually gets you three landfall triggers yep. throughout the course of a game. Yep. Uh, there are cards like Bounce Lands that allow to bring hit lands back to your hand. So Simic Growth Chamber, Boros Garrison, etc. When you play it, it comes into play tapped, but you return a land to your hand, so you're actually going to get that land for the next turn, so that's another way to sort of abuse the landfall mechanic a little bit. Guarantee you're going to get landfall at least. Yeah. Yep. Uh, then there are cards that allow you to play lands from graveyards. So Crucible of Worlds and Ramanap Excavator are the most common, mm -hmm. and they just literally say you may play lands from your graveyard. Yep. So if you have a fetch land, that's going to be tons of landfall triggers. You can fetch land, goes to the graveyard. Next turn, you can play it from your graveyard again, do it over and over again. Yeah, if you have a Crucible of Worlds and a fetch land in your graveyard, or just a fetch land in your hand, then you're getting two landfall triggers per turn yeah, just from that the, little combo. Yeah, Off to the races. Um, and then there's also the ability, of course, to play more lands every single turn. Azusa Lost But Seeking allows you to play two additional lands on your turn. Dryad of the Elysian Grove. And then you also have spells like Enter the Unknown or Enchantments like Exploration or Oracle of Moldiah. And these are all just ways to get additional lands onto the battlefield. Uh, and you're sort of cheating the mechanic of one per turn. Then there are all the land-based ramp, uh, very generic common cards that we talk about all the time. Cultivate. 
far seek, rampant growth, migration path. Uh, some of these put a single land in place, some put two lands in place, some put one into play and one to your hand, but mm-hmm. they all in some manner go search your deck for lands and put them into play and or into your hands. It only counts as land-based ramp if it puts at least one land into play, though. Yep. Uh, and then there's the tons of lands category in which you can get a lot of lands onto the battlefield and trigger landfall a bunch of times. Yeah, it's have... like get 20 landfall triggers all at once. <laughs> yeah, and there's you know modern decks that run around this that win with this. For instance, Scape Shift, which allows you to sacrifice any number of lands and then search your library for up to that many land cards and put them onto the battlefield and then shuffle your library. You can sack 10 lands and get 10 lands out. That's just 10 landfall triggers. Uh, there's Boundless Realms, which is for six in a green. You search your library for up to X basic land cards, where X is the number of lands you control and put them on the battlefield tapped so it's seven mana double the land count on your battlefield perilous forays it's an enchantment where you sack a creature and you put that land onto the battlefield with a basic land type and then traverse the outlands which is again you get x basic lands where x is the greatest power among creatures you control as a sorcery so these are just ways to get like five six maybe even ten twelve lands onto the battlefield in a single turn Generally, if you get 12 lands into the battlefield in one turn, you're going to win that game. Yeah, and if you have a landfall trigger yeah. or something to, to abuse with it, you're, you're going to go off. So in the future, as we're talking about these commanders, when we say all those landfall staples, that's all the stuff we're going to be uh, referring to. Yep. All right, let's get into the actual commanders here, and I will read the first one because this one is the commander that I'm going to be playing on the next episode of Game Nights. Which... Oh, it's some green-blue monstrosity, Josh? Tell me about it. <laughs> it is the opposite <laughs> of that. Yeah, this means that... Uh, I've actually built this deck and played it a few times. It is Akiri, Fearless Voyager. Oh. One, a red, and a white. So it's a Boros Commander for three mana. That's a 3-3 core warrior. It says, whenever you attack a player with one or more equipped creatures, draw a card. And then you can pay a white, and you may unattach an equipment from a creature you control. If you do, tap that creature, and it gains indestructible until end of turn. So interesting things to note here is that you can only draw one card per player you attack. Mm -hmm. So whenever you attack a player with one or more equipped creatures, draw a card. So I can't attack Jimmy with three equipped creatures and draw three cards. I would have to attack Jimmy, Mel, and Megan, each Mm -hmm. with an equipped creature, and I could draw a maximum of three cards this way without any other effects, which sounds bad, and I think... Honestly, like, why did they need this restriction, right? Like, it's not necessary. It's not like it's broken in any way if I could attack Jimmy with three equipped creatures because I'm just not going to have three equipped creatures very often. Yeah, also, that's three extra cards in your deck that are equipment that you have to play out of your hand so that you're already sort of disadvantaging yourself to catch up and then you have to equip them. They're going to be that much easier to blow you out with in the two-for-one if they remove it. There's a lot of downsides here, but it is card draw, technically, in red and white. Yeah, it's restricted. It's It's tough to pull off but i do think this is powerful yeah i'm a little upset too because boros is an aggressive stinted color and Mm -hmm. this is an aggressive stinted ability right i want to put equipment on my creatures and swing with them that is an aggressive strategy and now they're going to force me to play in a way that is bad for aggressive decks split up my damage between all my (laughs) opponents right that that's that's Eh, I don't love that part about it. However, there's no denying that it's got card draw on it, and that is very powerful. And one of the downsides of, like, 
putting creatures and equipment out is you can get totally blown out with board wipes and things like that. And Akiri mitigates that because you get to draw the cards. Yeah, and you can also pay white if the creature is equipped, make it indestructible, and it doesn't need to be untapped for it to become tapped after you do that. So that's kind of fun. All right, let's talk about some cards that could be in this deck. Yep. Uh, the first, obviously, is Saram, Cedar Enificer, who's the other, like, hey, you have equipment, let's draw some cards. He's a 2-2 for one and a white legendary dwarf advisor. Whenever you cast an aura equipment or vehicle spell, you get a draw card. Yep. Pure Steel Paladin, very similar. Draw cards for equipment that you cast also. And they can have equip cost zero because he has Metal Craft. Yeah, that's, that's why good. Pure Steel Paladin is really good. Get the equip cost down to zero means you can play some more expensive stuff and slide it around a lot yep. easier. Yep. Um, then there's the stuff that tutors for equipment. So Stoneforge Mystic and Relic Seeker are both sort of similar in that they'll go let you go find the best equipment in your deck, which is probably sort of Feast and Famine. Yep. There's a Brass Squire, which is a three-mana artifact creature. You can tap it to attach target equipment. So if you have, you know, your classic Sunforger with a massive equip cost, this is another way to cheat that. Also, you can do tricky things like attack with multiple creatures. Ah, they yes. block one, slide the equipment over at instant speed to the one they blocked or away from the one they blocked if you want to hit them for damage. Right, right. Instant speed is very nice there. This next card I like quite a bit. It's Fervent Champion. It's one red mana for a 1-1 one, one with first strike and haste. And it says whenever it attacks... Another target attacking knight you control gets plus one plus oh until end of turn. But it says equip abilities you activate that target fervent champion cost three less to activate. So a problem with equipment decks is that they just kill your creatures. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, sweet, I got three equipment and nothing to put it on. <laughs> and then if I play a creature, it's so telegraphed because I'm like, play it, attach my equipment to it, go. What are the chances that that thing is living until my next turn so I can swing with it? Fervent champion gets around a lot of that because it's one mana with haste. And it lets you equip to it for free. So you're like, play this, put all my equipment on it. Sorry, I said free. It's not always free. It's three less, but that's often free. Yeah, it's often free. Yeah, yeah. put three or four things on it, swing, get my triggers and whatnot, and get going right away. The haste is important. The fact that you can equip to it for cheap, and now I can play other things. Maybe I drew some cards. So I think this card's actually really, really good in the deck. First strike, too. Pretty yep. good here. Um, of course, you also have a new companion. It's Zerda the Dawn Waker because it says abilities you activate that aren't mana abilities cost two less to activate. However, this effect can't reduce the mana, and that costs to less than one mana. So you're equipped abilities all go down by two mana or at least Pretty two good. one mana yeah which can be very very powerful and we're not also, playing zerda as a companion here no 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 no. and you can also pay and tap it to make another creature unable to block so that helps out a little bit in getting the damage in this next card might be the best card in the deck i love this card it's the guard is eight it's one white for an enchantment you may cast aura and equipment spells as though they had flash oh boy give something flash josh thinks it's the best card in the deck big surprise <laughs> Uh, whenever an equipment enters the battlefield under your control, though, you may attach it to target creature you control. Now, this is where you can get really tricky because, first of all, it's bypassing the equip cost, which is yes. huge. But also, your equipment become combat tricks in certain situations so you can blow people out. Yeah, cast them and then yeah. boom, equip them in the middle of combat. Yeah, they don't yeah. even know. Also, you've got a bunch of the swords, maybe. Mm -hmm. They go to remove it. You go, boom, I give a protection from, you know, Sword of Feast and Famine, protection from black. Haha, -ha, it doesn't die. Yeah. Yeah, blow people out that way. Sunforger is equipment we always talk about. It's three mana, gives it a creature plus four, plus oh. But more importantly, once it's equipped, you can pay red and white to unattach it, search your library for a red or white instant card with CMC four or less and cast it without paying its mana cost. So you can grab a Teferi's Protection. Yep. Oh, That's the big one. That's the big one. Lapse of Certainty. Chaos Warp. Boros Charm. This is probably the second best card in the deck after Cigar Aid. Yep. And the third best card in the deck is probably Sword of Feast and Famine because it is uh, three mana to play, two to equip, gives plus two, plus two protection from green and black, but says whenever you deal combat 
combat damage to an opponent. That opponent discards a card, and you dis and you untap all of your lands. Hmm. So that's kind of ramp in a way. You just it's get totally access ramp. to more mana, and plus you're gonna need it in this deck when you're equipping things and casting spells like that. Sort of the Animus is also just a must include in any red or white deck uh, because it's a way to ramp your spells out with a two equip cost, a two mana cost, and the equip creature gets plus one plus one, and when it attacks, you basically ramp in growth. Yep, you search your library for a basic land, put it in play tapped. Um, any way you can ramp in this deck. And then also a cool combo that you can put in this deck is with Helm of the Host, our good friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Helm of the Host, four mana for legendary artifact equipment. At the uh, Sorry, it's five to equip, but it says at the beginning of a combat on your turn, create a token that's a copy of equipped creature, except that token isn't legendary um, if the equipped creature is legendary and that token gains haste. So this is very, very good on Akiri because yes. you'll get double triggers now when you attack with an equipped creature because both Akiris will trigger and remember it it doesn't care about the legendary clause. But it's also an infinite combo with another card in the deck. This is a sort of well-known combo, but we'll go through it here. Godo, Bandit Warlord, five and a red for a 3-3. Three, three. When Godo enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an equipment card and put it on the battlefield if you do shuffle your library. And then when Godo attacks for the first time each turn, untap it and all samurai you control after this phase. There's an additional combat phase. But you're like, wait a minute, how can this go infinite when it says attacks for the first time each turn? Well, Helm of the Host makes a brand new copy of Godo. You go into another combat phase, that Godo attacks, triggers again, and you also get new equipment from it every time with well, the you, host, which is pretty yeah, crazy. Yeah, you get new equipment, and also, yeah, then, oh, there's a new combat phase. Helm of the Host says, I'll make another token. Okay, attack with that token. New combat phase. I'll make another token. Okay, attack with that token. So as long as you have attacks with Godo, that's going to be infinite attack steps and infinite amount of, well, not infinite, until somebody's dead. Yeah, you got to give it haste as well, but it's Well, no, uh, the Helm gives haste, so. Oh. Yeah, so. It's, You're right. Yeah. So what that token you, gains haste pretty strong. So what you want to do is have like that brass squire out so that you play Godo. Mm -hmm. He finds the helm of those, puts it into play, and you brass squire it onto Godo right away, and then go or cigar to aid or something else that says auto equip or you know pure steel paladin things like that that yeah, reduce yeah, make the it cheaper cost. yeah yeah so that's an infinite combo if you want to win that way and honestly if you're in Boros and you're playing an equipment based deck. Go infinite and win because that's like it's hard to win with decks like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't want to ignore the very last text on the card, which is you, uh, sorry, on Akiri, which is you pay the white and you give a creature, you unattach equipment from a creature and give it indestructible. So another aspect of this deck is to play like a number of board wipes and go Blasphemous Act, Wrath of Gods, that type of stuff. And then be like, I tap three white, give these things indestructible by unattaching the equipment and then cast Wrath ah, of God, nice. kill everybody's creatures. And then if you're, if, you know, you're in good shape, then you have something that allows you to equip maybe for free or cheap back on and then swing. Yeah, that's actually pretty sweet. Yeah. I like that a lot. It and does plus, protect your creatures too. It's hard to remove. Like when you're playing against it, you're like, oh, I want to go to kill that thing. But if they've got a white mana open, then it's tough to, to go after it, right? Yeah, you don't want to waste that yeah. that spell. Yeah, in general, I don't think you're running, you're going to be on the battlefield more than three to four creatures at any time. It's because, you know, you're splitting your deck again with a lot of equipment here so that you can actually use your commander's abilities. Yeah, we'll probably talk about this deck more, um, again, because we play it in, or I play it in game nights. We'll probably talk about your game nights deck yep. more. So we won't go into it more here, but it's a cool commander in a cool deck and it's one of the decks that I think I'll probably keep together. Yeah, progress in red and white. Thanks. <laughs> okay, the next up we've already talked about on another episode of the show but is Anawan the Rune Thief which is a part of the Commander Precon uh, and we had the episode you can find on our channel. Uh, we sort of break down the deck and also do 10 cards in, 10 cards out. Uh, but let's talk about some non-budget versions that you can synergize with this card. So it's two in the blue and the black for a legendary creature vampire rogue for a 2-4. 
Other rogues you control get plus one, plus one. And whenever one or more rogues you control deal combat to a, to a player, combat damage to a player, that player mills a card for each one damage dealt to them. If the player mills at least one creature card this way, you draw a card. Sounds complicated, but really, if you hit with rogues, you mill them for that amount, and if they mill creatures when you do that, you draw cards. Yay! But you can only... It's the same thing like a carry. You can only draw one card per opponent, unless you give, like, double strike or something. Yeah, and it's... Again, they have to mill a creature card. So, uh, one card that we didn't talk about because we had a $25 limit on our 10 cards in, 10 cards out, is Bitter Blossom. Oh, yeah. One in the black for an enchantment. Uh, At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose a life, and you create 1-1 black fairy rogue creature token with flying. So, these are all now 2-2s. This is extremely good with Anawan, especially if you can play Bitter Blossom on turn 2 or something. Oh, my my gosh. Yeah, Bitter Blossom is probably the best card in that deck, right? Yeah, it's nuts. (laughs) Even though it's... you get one turn per four it's still a free two two flyer in the air that's going to trigger and draw you more cards and the great thing about bitter blossom is it's an enchantment so they kill the creatures you keep getting more creatures as it goes yep uh true name nemesis who knew that this thing was a rogue and <laughs> a merfolk too it does not look like a merfolk yeah it's it's not as expensive as it used to be but still a little spendy for our budget upgrade guide mm-hmm. it's a three one for one blue 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 and it says as true name nemesis enters the battlefield choose a player True Name Nemesis has protection from the chosen player. That means this creature can't be blocked, targeted, dealt damage, or enchanted by anything controlled by that player. So it's just a very strong card against a specific player and also guarantees that you'll be able to swing with it because they can't block it. Yeah, exactly. And get through because of Anawan. So, and it's also going to be a 4-2, right? It's so. going to be massive, yeah. And it's just going to end someone's life very quickly. And um, then there there were a bunch of like tribal staple cards that we just couldn't talk about in the budget upgrade video. Yeah. I don't think we have to read them all. Do you want I mean, nah, like no. what they do. You've heard them all before. Yeah. If you really want to, you know, you can look them up. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of cards we're talking about today and we're, we've only done two and we're like, what, 20 minutes in or something. So it's metallic. Mimic, Vanquisher's Banner, Herald's Horn, Kindred Dominance, stuff like that. Yeah. Like, we'll just stop there. But but those traditional tribal staple cards are all good in a deck that has 30 rogues in it. Who knew? Mm-hmm. And if you want to go the full-on mill strategy as well, because anyone does mill people, this is very, very hard, but you can do so. Uh, there's Bruvik, the Grandi- Grandiloquent. Grandiloquent, Yeah, I which guess. is kind of crazy. It just basically doubles the mill on everyone. Uh, you've got Psychic Corrosion, which whenever you draw cards, each opponent mills two cards, so that's really good with Anawan. Sphinx's tutelage, similar idea there. And then, of course, Leyline of the Void, so you exile all the cards going into people's library. I graveyards. think if you're gonna go mill with this deck, lean into the mill part more, or any mill deck, you have to be aware of the fact that for a lot of decks in the format, you're helping them when you mill them. You're yeah. giving them access to more tools. And so you need to adjust for that and put graveyard hate into your mill decks. Leyline of the Void is a great piece of tech in your mill deck because it makes sure that those cards go to exile rather than sit in their graveyard and then you actually are hurting them when you mill them yeah it's only opponents too which is great and then of course you can also just do extra turn spells to just keep milling keep attacking keep drawing it's kind of like the edric idea right edric saying well i'm drawing so many cards and if i have attacks yeah which if i'm drawing cards i'm having attacks and that's what anna one says too right then as I draw more cards, I'm likely to draw more extra turns cards, which I'll cast, and then I'll have attacks on my extra turns, mm-hmm. and then I'll keep doing that. And so that's, I think, a possibility for the deck. Meaner, and obviously extra turn spells are more expensive, so we didn't talk about them in the budget upgrade. And I don't think we would tell people, like, hey, play the extra turns deck. <laughs> but, you know, now I'm telling people, hey, play the extra turns deck, I guess. 
Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay, moving on. This is a really exciting one. It's a Shia Soul of the Wild. I didn't, when I first saw this, I didn't really realize how cool it was. And then you started listing stuff out and I was like, dang, that is cool. Yeah, it's going to be very <laughs> interesting as a mono green deck. Three green green for a legendary elemental star star. And it's power and toughness are each equal to the number of land you control. So if you cast this for five mana and you have five lands, it's a five, five. And the well, interesting part. Does it count as a creature? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Everything non- yeah, the number of lands you control. So actually, so be a yeah, six six, 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 yeah. And non-token creatures you control are forest lands in addition to their other types. So your non-token creatures are all forests. They're all Lanoir elves, basically. They turn into them oh, because they they're creatures that can tap for mana, yeah. And but they still count effect. as lands. <laughs> yeah. So a Shia, that's why she'd be a 6-6 six, six if you played her by herself and there's With nothing else lands, out. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really think about the fact that this means your creatures will now trigger landfall. Yeah, because when they enter the battlefield, they're technically forests. Wow. That opens up a lot of possibilities. Yeah, they're still affected by summoning things, so you can't tap them when they come in. Mm. Uh, the possibilities that I like are you can play some board wipes because now all of your creatures are are lands. So board wipes like Oblivion Stone, which has an ability to tap it and sacrifice to destroy each non-land permanent without a fate oh. counter on it. And you just blow up everyone else's stuff. That's pretty sweet because yeah. your creatures are land, so your creatures don't die. Yep. Oh, there's a bunch that say non-land permanent or non-land, yeah, permanent like that, right? Yeah, it's pretty intense. Blast Zone is a land that does it. You can put charge counters on it and it blows up things equal to the uh, the CMC and the charge counters that you have. There's Boom Pile, which is a card that typically was just not played in Commander, but this deck definitely runs it. Four mana artifact, you tap, flip a coin. If you win the flip, destroy all non-land permanents. That's great. Yeah, so I mean, in this case, you're you know, you're running creature-based ramp here because when the Shia comes out, yep. those creatures become lands as well, and then they get protected from stuff like Boom Pile. That's pretty sweet. Um, Magus of the Candelabra also gets nuts in this deck because oh. it's a creature that when you, you pay X and tap it to untap X target lands, but that can be your creatures now. So you can like pseudo give all your things vigilance when they attack. There's or a just lot. Get, do tap abilities tap more than abilities. Once. Yeah, there's a lot you can do there. And then there's an infinite combo with Lay Weaver and Argothian Elder. Mm-hmm. Both of them are creatures that tap to untap two target lands. So they can literally untap themselves now. And a land. And another land. So just any of those. Just so boop, you're always up it. one mana whenever you do that? Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting, okay. Yeah, this deck is nutty. Uh, uh, anything that untaps all your lands, so sort of Feast and Famine, Wilderness yep. Reclamation, get really good, because now they untap lands and creatures, right? Because your creatures become lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, You 100% will put this in the new four-color Omnath, which we'll talk about later, because he has a nutty landfall trigger, which is really cool. Um, So you had a a mean combo here, which I don't think it's that mean unless you do the full stacks thing, because just putting this card in the deck seems smart. Yeah, it's called Storage Matrix. I saw this on Reddit. It's a three-mana artifact. As long as Storage Matrix is untapped, each player chooses an artifact, chooses, sorry, artifact, creature, or land during their untap step, and that player can only un- can untap only permanence of the chosen type this step. So you choose land, but that effectively means you untap your lands and creatures. Yes. They all can only choose one of those things. Yeah, so they can't either, un- they either have to untap only their artifacts, only their creatures, or only their lands. That's brutal. Yeah, so it's actually not that uh, sort of like, because like someone might just not run artifacts and not, it could be a creatureless deck. So yeah, yeah they, I just untap my lands. They untap their lands, still can play stuff. It's not the same as stasis or anything. But yeah. if anyone's running tons of artifact ramp, they have to choose between the artifacts and the lands. It This That's would great. just get nasty fast. That's great. I don't like this next card you've got. What's going on here? Yeah, so there is a lot of talk about this online about Blood Moon, which uh, I think the way that works because of the layering, it actually, if you have a Shia out and you play Blood Moon, 
where non-basic lands become mountains, there is some weird thing where it replaces effects and the Shy goes to a zero zero and just dies. It's really strange. I had to look this up a few times. Wait, you'd still have lands though. But how I think the, go to zero? there's some sort of like layering and I don't know exactly how this works. We have to have a judge answer it. I looked again on like three different places and they all said the same thing that because of the way that the replacement effects work when someone plays Blood Moon and the Shy is out and already doing it, it like does a switch at one point and a state-based action is now going to say now you have zero lands before they become mountains i don't know exactly how it works well i mean what about your basic lands that you have though i well, i think if you have normal basics then then, then shy is fine yeah yeah but then but then if a shy does live you have like a plus one plus encounter on it then all of your creatures just become mountains what <laughs> and that's it. just another reason why not to play blood moon because <laughs> there's other abilities yeah, yeah super confusing i don't even know if i'm fully right um one nice thing about this deck though is that you can't get cyclonic rifted because it says bounce all gnarland permanents your opponent's control so yeah that's a way around psych rift yeah we did it <laughs> anyway a shy i think is going to see a lot of play uh both as a casual deck and maybe as even slightly more competitive but it's going to be some fun stuff all your creatures being land war elves it's pretty cool yeah i can see it going in a lot of different decks because yeah. just turning all your creatures into things that tap for mana is good too right mm-hmm. Cry- totally. cryptolith right is just already kind of good so yeah all right let's talk about the next commander it's a mono blue one it's cherix the raging isle two blue blue for a zero seventeen. but i'm sorry what <laughs> legendary creature leviathan crab it spells it says spells your opponent's cast that target cherix cost two more to cast so kind of protects itself Mm -hmm. and then it has an activated ability you can pay three colon cherix gets plus x minus x until end of turn where x is the number of islands you control so if you have five islands you pay three it'll become a 512 oh thing is you can activate this ability multiple times so you can pay three again and it would become a 107 okay you can get you can do it up to 16 so, so it can become a 16, a 17, oh yeah, 16, one. And then it'll die if you do it again. <laughs> yeah. So don't do that. Don't do that. Um, this is kind of similar to Tempest Gin, which gets plus one plus oh for each basic island you control. Um, and, you know, you put down training grounds here, which is really cool because then the activation ability goes down to one. That's a, like, if you have like five islands, yeah. that's a real threat if you swing it in. What do you do? Yeah. I think five is a sweet number too because you can do it three times and it gets to 15-2. Yeah. Yeah. And if they don't, if they block it, you just go, oh, I'll do it once, kill whatever's blocking it, but it doesn't die because it's a 5-12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If so, you, even if you have four islands and you activate it four times, there you go. You have a 16-1 right there. Now, let's let's say that in that instance, I put a fire shrieker on it. Oh, double strike? Yeah. So, I think with double strike, this actually becomes pretty threatening because, first of all, really hard to block now you have to block it because you'll die to commander damage because if it's if you got six islands yeah activate twice that's 24 damage commander damage and blue's really good at making things unblockable too right so this could be like a sneaky sort of voltron or commander damage commander voltron mono blue yeah not something uh you hear very often so i think that's a cool way to go i, I was also wondering as i read this if there is now a critical mass of cards that care about the number of islands you have, can you build the number of islands I control dot deck? Yeah. So well, the first thing you want to build is put in there is this guy. Yeah. Stormtide Leviathan, which is a five blue, 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 eight, eight with island walk. But then all lands are islands in addition to their other types. And then creatures without flying or island walk can't attack. So it's just a Stormtide Leviathan that yep. can attack, which is pretty interesting. If you could figure out a way to give Cherks flying in that case, then all your islands... I mean, all your lands would be islands, and then you could therefore, like, pump it a lot, right? Maybe yeah. have eight or nine. And there's a lot of blue cards that also jump, like, that give yep. a blue card flying. 
Uh, there's This is an interesting card. It's called Quicksilver Fountain. Three mana for an artifact. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player puts a flood counter on target non-island land they control. The land is an island for as long as it has a flood counter on it. At the beginning of each end step, if all lands on the battlefield are islands, you remove all flood counters from them. That takes a long time to happen because people are playing lands every turn too. So usually you never see it get to that last part. So you just slowly over the course of the game are turning your lands into islands. Your your utility lands and stuff, because even monocolor decks don't usually run more than like 20 basic lands, right? They have all the utility lands. And so... this helps Cherks just make sure that you've got tons of islands. It also kind of is annoying if someone's playing oh, yeah. like a bunch of non-basics or weird lands that don't have for colors. It's like a slow blood moon. Yeah, very slow blood moon. You also can play Spreading Seas, which is one in the blue enchantment aura to enchant a land when it enters the battlefield. You get a draw card, so it cantrips. And then you just enchant the land to become an island. Yep. There's Mystic Compass, does similar things. There's a lot of cards that will change cards into islands. Um, most of them, it's not worth a card to do that. There's like Magical Hack and some old stuff like that. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, I have... I, you know, what are the cards that care about how many islands I have? This is an interesting one. Yeah, especially if you're going to find a way to give Cherix flying. You could yeah. also do it to this card, which I've never seen this text before. Floodgate, three in the blue for a creature wall with defender is zero five. When Floodgate has flying, sacrifice it. So don't give it flying. Well, you might want to because when it leaves the battlefield, it deals damage equal to half the number of islands you control rounded down to each non-blue creature without flying. Pretty interesting. You can also flicker Deal this. Damage. It's a blue card. What the heck's going on? <laughs> yeah. You can also flicker it a bunch too. Yep. So it's got this really strange, strange text on it. <laughs> yeah. And you're mono blue. So it's not going to hit any of your creatures. There's Scourge of Fleets, which is five blue, blue. So seven mana for a six, six. But when it enters the battlefield, return each creature your opponent's control with toughness X or less to its owner's hand, where X is the number of islands you control bingo bongo bongo vidalkin shackles lets you pay two to tap it and gain control of target creature with power less than or equal to the number of islands you control as long as you leave vidalkin shackles tapped yep and then there's serpent of the endless sea which is a star star for four and a blue serpent uh but its power and toughness are each equal to the number of islands you control. And then Serpent of the Endless Seas can't attack unless defending player controls an island. Which Spreading season. Yep. So yeah. it, I just thought that was an interesting thing. Maybe this is the commander of the Cares About Islands deck. Or we're, we're maybe not at critical mass, but we're moving towards it. Maybe yeah. a, a couple of years, maybe it's there. It's a very strange card. Uh, it, I personally think it's just whatever. But if you do build a deck like this, it all of a sudden becomes a lot more interesting. And the thing I like about a deck like that is people are constantly like asking us, well, you know, how in my playgroup, I always get killed first, and how do I not, yeah. you know, have them? Well, build decks that are fun like that, that are trying to do way, wacky things that, that aren't inherently super powerful, and it's going to get there sometimes and do interesting things, but nobody's going to be like, oh, you only play broken decks all the time, and I kill you first every time. Yeah, I'm like, here's my mono blue Voltron deck with a crab. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's guaranteed going to be a lot cheaper to build, because none of those cards we talked about are very high in price. <laughs> and you'll have fun because you're trying to do something weird and wacky, and they'll have fun because they have a chance. And then yeah. if you pull, if you have decks like that then they might you know your playgroup might be okay with you pulling out your combo deck once in a while yep totally all right, all right. moving on to drana the last blood chief three black black for a legendary creature vampire cleric that's a four forward flying whenever drana attacks defending player chooses a non-legendary creature card in your graveyard you return that card to the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it and the creature is a vampire in addition to its other 
types. So your opponent gets to make the choice, uh, but it comes back to the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it, which to me screams, put it in Marchesa the Black Rose. <laughs> I don't care what you choose. I don't care what you choose because it's coming out with a plus one, plus one counter, which is really hard to do in Grixis colors. And that way Marchesa will have basically, that creature will now trigger with Marchesa's thing. Um, this is, of course, five mana, so it's a little on the high end. But I thought that was pretty interesting in my in my your world. Don't put Phage in your graveyard. <laughs> It'll Don't put Phage in a draw to deck, period. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. For it. It's, it is definitely just asking for it. Do um, put Entomb and Buried Alive because that's going to allow you to sort of tutor things to your graveyard. Yep. And then also I think play cards like Phyrexian Reclamation, which uh, allows you to pay one in the black and two life to return the creature card from your graveyard to your hand because your opponent's the one choosing. So if you want to be like, hey, they have to choose this card, interesting. you can sort of manipulate your graveyard You can eliminate possibilities like, oh, I don't want them to choose that. I'm going to put that back in my hand. And now yeah. they have to choose Phyrexian Delver, which is actually pretty funny because if you have this and another creature, they have no good choice. They right. have to choose the other one because Delver comes in, you return a target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield and you lose life equals to that card CMC. So it's kind of like reanimate. Mm -hmm. My question is, do you play Relic of Progenitus in this deck? Because it says... It's a one-man artifact. You can tap target player, exiles a card from their graveyard. Oh, they get to choose. Yeah, so but that target player target could be yourself. you. Yeah. Interesting. I think maybe you do. And also... I think you do just because Relic of Progenitus is a decent card to run on its own. Yeah. Because you run into a graveyard-based deck and you're just like, boom, exile all cards from all graveyards, draw a card. Yeah. Um, it might not be great for you because you want to play with your graveyard too, but you know you have Relic of Progenitus, so you can just not do all your self-milling until you've already you know, yeah. burned it or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I think Drawn is all about ramping her out quickly or, or playing like a big mana strategy and then making sure that you just load up your graveyard with the scariest demons and dragons or whatever, you know, that costs like 10 mana or shieldreds. I mean, it's super you know? scary because like Entomb's an instant, right? Yeah. So if they go to swing at you and before blocks... Like, it might look fine. Like, what's in your graveyard? Oh, nothing, or nothing scary. And then they, you're like, no block. And they go, okay, before damage. Oh, it's when it attacks. Oh, it's when so it attacks. Yeah, yeah. Oh. oh, but still. But even, it's, yeah, it's still fine. Like, go yeah. to combat, entomb something out. They're like, you don't have anything. And they're like, I do now. I have the awesomest thing. Yeah. I have, you know, it that betrays or whatever. Oh, gosh. Also, it turns it into a vampire. So, vampire travels on the table for this. But yeah. there's probably, you know, Edgar's probably better. Yeah, Edgar is definitely better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, when you're saying mono black, I think anytime you do that, you can play big mana, crypt gas, ball coffers and then Torment of Hail, Fire, Exsanguinate, just, that's like your guaranteed win condition in Mono Black. All Black decks can get there by the end of the game. Yeah, that's yep. true. <laughs> All right, um, let's talk about the next one, which is Grackmaw, Skyclave Ravager. You should name your dog that. Grackmaw. Grackmaw, come here. <laughs> come here, Grackmaw. <laughs> so it's a mouthful. Yeah. I'll probably be scared if it did come. Yeah. Look at this thing. It's nasty. Yeah. <laughs> it's got three heads. Yeah. Too. It's one, a black, and a green, so three mana for a zero zero hydra horror but it says grackma enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it so it's a three mana three three mm -hmm. whenever another creature you control dies if it had a plus one plus one counter on it put a one one counter on grackma and then when grackma dies you create an xx black and green hydra creature token where x is the number of one one counters on grackma so if grackma comes out with three and just dies right away you'll get a three three but as your other creatures die, if Grackma's still out, it'll slowly grow because it gets that plus one, plus one counter. Mm -hmm. And then by the time it dies, maybe it's like a 9-9 nine, nine, and it creates a 9-9 nine, nine Hydra token. Yeah, and this is better with the new commander rules because Grackma dying will see the graveyard yes. first and then go to your command zone. Um, this is like slightly worse than Rayhan, Last of the Abzan. Yeah. Uh, because Rayhan says that whenever a creature you control dies or is put into the command zone, if it had one or more plus one, plus one counters on it, you may put that many plus one, plus one counters on target creature. Whereas Grackma only gets one plus one, plus one counter 
each time. Interesting. But it is really cool with Skullbriar because the, it's not like the counters disappear off the creature and go on the Grackmaw. It only checks if it had the counters. Right, interesting. So Skullbriar will go to the command zone or wherever and keep the counters on it, but Grackmaw will say like, oh, you had a plus one, plus one counter on you. I get to add one to myself. And uh, Skullbriar keeps the counters. Yeah, that's cool. Hydra Tribal. I think, you know, we're always looking for a Hydra Tribal commander. So although I don't know this is the best one because it doesn't pump Hydras or anything. Yeah. But it does make Hydras. So other things that pump Hydras will sort of care about. It is a Hydra as itself as well. Yeah. Wildwood Scourge cares about plus and plus encounters. So does the new Pelucranos. And then, you, of course, you play the Winding Constrictor, Hardened Scales, Branching Evolution, Doubling Season, the Ozolith, all the of those cards. Yeah, so always looking for this. some Ozoliths. <laughs> yeah. Let's read Ozolith because this card is just really fun. It's a one-man legendary artifact. Whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, if it had counters on it, put those counters on the Ozolith. So, again, it can leave the battlefield. Grackmont can still see it leaving the battlefield, and then those counters can go on the Ozolith. And the beginning of combat on your turn, if the Ozolith has counters on it, you may move all of them from the Ozolith onto target creature. And also, you can save the counters from Grackmaw, right? It right. dies, put its counters on the Ozolith, goes to your command zone, you play it, put three counters on it, put the Ozolith counters on it. Now when it dies, make bigger Hydras. Make bigger Hydras, right, yeah. right, right, right. Seems right. cool. Yeah, it seems pretty cool. It's there. a plus one, plus one counter deck at its heart, though. Yeah. Nothing like, not any super new ground to be broken here. Yep. Okay, this next one is Kaza, Royal Chaser. A blue and a red for a 1-2 legendary creature, Human Wizard, with flying and haste. It's like silver surfering around. It totally is. You can pay, you can tap it, and the next... It looks like those boots that um, Channing Tatum wore in that one... Oh, that uh, awful freaking... Uh, 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 yeah, uh, with Mila Kunis, Yeah, right? yeah uh, with Jupiter his, Ascending. Jupiter Ascending. Yeah. Or Rising, who knows? He had elf ears. All right. The Jupiter, Zendikar, Ascending, Rising. Zendikar, Rising, Ascending, Jupiter, Channing. You can tap Kaza and the next instant or sorcery spell you cast this turn cost X less to cast where X is the number of wizards you control as this ability resolves. That's pretty sweet. It has haste so you can play this for two and then tap it. Let's say you have two wizards out then it's, the next spell is going to cost two less. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be one less because uh, Kaza is a... Well, not always. Wizard. I guess they can kill it in response to the to the tap, right? The ability goes on the stack and it's as it resolves. Yeah, because you won't have any uh, wizards, uh, at, that wizards point. at that point. Yeah. yeah, which is probably why that, because that text does seem somewhat new. It's got haste though, so the turn you play it, yep. it could be, Even just you could gain reduction. mana from it though. If you had three wizards already, you play mm -hmm. it, tap it, reduce the next thing by four. Yeah, you may not want to play this on the turn that you want to go off. I could see this being really good in the storm deck. Mm -hmm. um, in general though, this is just like screams wizard travel to me because you want to have a lot of wizards out and then you're going to play sweet X spells or just like huge expropriate type spells that cost way less. Um, there's Docent of Perfection, which this is a flip so card. Good in the deck. Yeah, it's three blue, blue for a five, four flying. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you create a one, one blue wizard human creature token. And then if you control three more wizards, you flip it. And then it says again on the other side, uh, wizards get plus two, plus one, and have flying. And then the same text whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you create a one, one blue human wizard creature token. So perfect because Kaza reduces or, or sort of supercharges your instant and sorceries and that creates more wizards that makes kaza reduce the cost by those yeah by more yeah pretty sweet pretty sweet um, um, goblin wizardry is kind of a new card that is an instant it's three and a red but it says create two one one red goblin wizard creature token so it creates two wizards mm. and they have prowess so they get plus one plus one whenever you cast a non-creature spell so it just combos really well with kaza because she'll reduce the cost of it and then the next time you activate her You've yep. got more wizards out. Yeah. Yep. Uh, if you play Kaza in your Anala deck, Anala has eminence, so whenever non-token creatures enter the battlefield with Anala in your command zone or in the battlefield, you can pay one to create a token of that, so then Kaza gets a little bit better. Uh, Real the Everwise is just a human wizard that loves drawing cards and probably has a lot of wizards in the deck. Adalaz the Cinderwind, 
wizards get plus one plus one until end of turn when you're casting instant or sorcery. So there's a lot of different ways to go about this. You can go super controly, storm, swarm, sort of your choice. Yeah, I think you know it's going to be a little tough to build because wizards are generally creatures. Yeah. Kaza wants to help you cast instants and sorceries, so you can get in the situation where you don't have instants and sorceries to cast with her, or you don't have enough wizards that she's really doing much, mm-hmm. and so that balance is going to be a little bit tough when building the deck. Um, I like, of course, to add a bunch of untappers maybe to the deck, because if you're going to tap Kaza, then all of a sudden you could activate her multiple times in a turn, especially if the untapper itself is a wizard, which there are a few. This first one is not, though. It's a Vizier of Tumbling Sands. It's a... Uh, what is that? Human Cleric. But it's two and a blue for a 1-3, and you can tap it to untap target permanent. So you, this is a second Kaza, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Fate Stitcher, which oh. is a wizard. Love it. Uh, you've got Puppeteer, also a wizard. You've got Afedo Alchemist, also a wizard, and they all will untap a creature. Many of those will also untap a land, so they can be ramp until the point that you want them to be sort of Kaza clones or whatever yeah you just sort of wait until like turn five or six maybe and then you have kaza with two untappers out five was three wizards even yeah uh four when you cast kaza and then you tap it what three times the next spell you cost that cost 12 less to cast now yeah so it's like stroke of genius draw a million cards uh, yeah or you know i'll just cyclonic Rift or expropriate super early or whatever like yeah you, yeah i think that's maybe the way to go is a bunch of untappers because they're kind of doing double duty then mm-hmm. and then yeah. just really good wizards overall um and then sort of choose your direction from there. I think this is a really good Storm Commander, though, with yeah. a Wizard Storm Commander. And don't forget, Strixhaven is a brand new set coming out in 2021. Oh, yeah. It's the Wizard Plane, so guarantee we're going to see a lot of new sweet Wizards. It's the Wizarding happens. School. Yeah, it's basically Harry Potter. <laughs> Let's be real. Yeah, So, but but keep an eye out. I think Kaza and, and all of those cards we just mentioned are going to get better as more Wizards are introduced next year. Well, yeah, and you've got the party mechanic that wants Wizards and stuff, so that's going to be yeah, a great place yeah, to get exactly. a bunch of Wizards. Yeah. Wizard okay. Tribal, definitely going to get better in the next year. It's, yeah, it's definitely. Okay, the next card is Linvala. This is an interesting Shield one. of Seagate. Yeah, and I think I want to have a little bit of a different discussion with this as well. Okay, let me read the card. It's one, a white and a blue, so three mana for a 3-3 three, three flying angel wizard. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party, so that means you need a cleric, a warrior, a wizard, a wizard and a rogue. She's a wizard. Choose target non-land permanent and opponent controls. Until your next turn, it can't attack or block, and its activated abilities can't be activated. So it gets detained, basically. So at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party, you detain a permanent. It is any permanent, non-land permanent. Yeah. Okay, and then it also has an ability, sacrifice Linvala, choose Hexproof or Indestructible. Creatures you control gain that ability until end of turn. Oh, that's interesting. So you can always just sack Linvala, give everything Indestructible if you feel like it, or yeah. Hexproof. So it's kind of like a heroic intervention type card on one white and a blue. That they can see on the board, so it's not yeah. quite as get- gotcha. And instead of being like, what are the cards that synergize with this? I'm just going to be asking the question, is this good? So the question is, what's the percentage that you have a full party? And I think it's actually pretty low because you need to have four creatures out that match all these types yeah uh, if you're playing this deck you're most likely probably playing some kind of changeling but you're even playing changelings for sure and i yeah. think that that helps you a lot right because any changeling will stand in for any, any one of, of them. them right yeah but the problem is that this is a blue and white deck so you don't even have that many rogues and clerics that necessarily fit into this if you didn't have access to three other colors um but there are some interesting wizards too if you're going to go with the party route and play a lot of cards from zendikar rising Baral, Chief of Compliance, even Mind Sensor and Spellseeker are all the most popular like wizards in there. Mm-hmm. And you can keep looking for the other ones too. But I think the thing that really doesn't 
make me happy about this card is that the detaining part of it isn't that good. Um, because, yeah, you can shut down a Soul Ring or an Arcane Signet, which mm-hmm. is an 80% of decks for Soul Ring and 43 for Arcane Signet. But cards like Smothering Tithe and Ristic Study... Doesn't do anything. Nothing against that. and those they don't are, have activated abilities. Exactly. They're just triggered. So those are 38% of decks on both of those. And so Linval doesn't touch those cards, which I would say are actually way more problematic than the Soul Ring or Arcane Signet. Um, and this does... I mean, by the time you get Linval out and have a full party, it's going to be fairly late into the game, right? That's not happening on turn four. Yeah, most likely not. So you don't care about Soul Ring as much on turn eight or nine. You wish, you know, if you could get rid of it with Nature's Claim, you'd want to do that on the first couple of turns. Mm-hmm. So by that time, you're looking at shutting down something big, but it's just one thing. Yeah, and it, this does shut down Commanders. But again, keep in mind that you have to have a full party to do so. So Golos gets shut down by this. Kenrith, Lord Windgrace, because the Planeswalkers have activated abilities. But Moldrotha, Atraxa, even Yuriko, which does have an activated ability, but it's in your hand, so you can never even be stopped by Linvala, doesn't get shut down by her. I mean, getting a full party seems so difficult that I, I think I don't think it would be broken if it just literally said exile target non-land permanent rather than the detain thing. Yeah, I don't know, I know why right? it detains it. Yeah. Like, I, that's, just, that's just weird. My problem is that white and blue just has a really tough time making a control type deck that isn't oppressive or unfun and right. then you just don't really have that many options i remember when i built my lavinia deck just being like how do i do this in a way that's actually like fun for the table and it wasn't i just played <laughs> a massive you know win the game type spells instead um so i think if you have to player you either go squad tribal and put every single zendikar rising party card you can in the deck or she would be actually pretty interesting in like a morophon changeling tribal deck because mm. you have all the changelings out so you um, can just incidentally hit party with her but you're not like that's not the main strategy yeah or if you want to go kind of like more staxi derevi is also a wizard so maybe you could find something there chulane's a druid so you can kind of do something there i think the best maybe is just do a vorthosi deck have king kenny kenrith as your commander he's five color and he's sending out his party into the world you know because he's right there he's a noble on a quest for the for the king for the king yeah right. and it's the full it's the venturing party see it's funny when i looked at the card i just ignored that first paragraph and i was like looking at the sacrifice ability and <laughs> yeah. that's what i would build around so the sacrifice ability where you can either give all your uh, creatures hexproof or indestructible i think could be powerful um because think if you have like a board wipe and you use her as board wipe protection so just wrath of god and stuff yeah right you're gonna lose linvala sure but you keep everything else and also like a lot of times a white deck might want to like go wide put a bunch of stuff on the board but tokens and all that yeah but you don't want to get blown out by the board wipe this protects you from that in some way i also think if you got really mean you'd have to add a color because most of the stuff's in red Mm -hmm. um you could do the stuff like Bearer of the Heavens, which is a 10-10 for seven and a red, but when it dies, you destroy all permanents Ooh. at the beginning of the next end step. So this is a way to be like, okay, I have a big board. I'm going to sacrifice the Bearer of the Heavens. And then in response to that trigger on the end step, I'm going to give all my creatures indestructible. So now I destroy everything, lands and everything, and I'm the only one with stuff on the board and I can win from there. Obliterate is another card that's very similar. Yeah, um, don't do that. <laughs> I just, I'm just looking for ways that this card can be good and i think that's one of the usages maybe yeah i'm still looking for them to make a good azorius commander it seems like we've sort of fallen they have good ones as far as powerful but yeah. not fun ones. not fun ones yeah i mean too much of it is all about the idea of being restrictive and locking people down which isn't really i think you know, great for commander players necessarily all right uh the next commander Really, really cool, and in Jimmy's favorite color. But before Blue. we get into it, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I spoke too soon. It's not blue. The next card is red. Welcome back to the show. Uh, this next commander is, I think, one of the coolest mono red commanders I've seen in a while. Because it doesn't. It's not like you got to be goblin tribal or you got to be this. Right. This one is just about attacking and and hopefully winning the game. So it is Morog, Fury of Akum, four red red for a six six legendary creature Minotaur warrior. Each creature you control gets plus one plus zero oh for each time it is attacked this turn. Well, it means you're going to be attacking a lot, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Because with the landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if it's your main phase, there is an additional combat phase after this one. At the beginning of that combat, untap all creatures you control. Landfall, extra attack step. Pretty crazy. Pretty powerful. Especially if you play a Coom and then play a fetch land. Yeah. So that on that turn, it'd be turn seven, obviously. You're going to get three attacks. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. Because yeah. you'll attack, boom, you'll swing, second main phase, play a land. Right. Now you get an attack step. Attack, crack the land, get another landfall trigger. Attack the third time, and your creature's going to get plus three, plus so for each time it's attacked this turn. I mean, three attacks in any given turn is often going to win you the game. Yeah, uh, I think, like, honestly, this is a power level similar to Aggravated Assault without having to pay the extra mana cost to give yourself additional attack phases. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I do think this is inherently not so great when you're in mono red because it's going to cost so much money if you really want to optimize this because you're playing all of the yeah. red-white fetches, the blue-red fetches, just so you can get... You need all, all the off-color fetches. You need of Crucible them. of Worlds yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's an expensive deck to optimize for sure because just like, hey, I play Morag and then I play a basic land, that's just like not going to be that great a lot of the time. And it's good, but it's not amazing. And I think you also want to ramp out Morag quickly so you're going to be playing your Mana Vault type cards just to get a bunch of stuff on the board. Because if you're attacking three times with a card that like gives, let's say you're attacking for just six seven damage and that's going to be 21 right there off of three attack phases so i think like if you can do this quickly get morag out fast and just have like a lot of like five two type creatures lightning what's it those like lightning elemental type creatures and then boom you're just swinging in for so much damage i mean this is the type of card that people will be on to if they're playing against though if it's yeah. in your command zone so they're gonna hold hold their removal and like or clear out stuff beforehand so that you just never get to the point where you can play it and already have a big board right so i think that's gonna be a little bit frustrating about the deck too because yeah. the fact that aggravated assault i think is just better in a lot of situations because a lot of times you can sort of play it on the turn that like you have sort of feast and famine already out or something like that mm-hmm. savage vent maw 
and that piece kind of works together. Whereas if it's in your command zone, they kind of know what the plan is. It's going to be a little tougher to pull off. So I actually think that's good. There's not going to be a broken commander, but it could be a fun one. Yeah, it definitely is really fun. And you're going to play a lot of cards like Solemn Simulacrum, Wayfarer's Bobble, and Burnished Heart, all ways to get a bunch of lands onto the battlefield. And again, like the landfall can trigger multiple times in the same main phase, yep. right? So you can actually play a land, fetch it in the same main phase, and you get two landfall triggers. It's both your main phases. You can get two additional combat steps. You don't need to wait for each one. Yep. Um, I think, though, you would want to put this into a Najila, the Blade Blossom deck. Uh, this is a warrior as well, so oh. you're going to get more warriors, and Najila is all about giving you, you know, it's a Wooburg deck, so you actually get all the colors, and you get more and more ways. You're going to be playing all the fetches in this deck. Anyway, Najila is one of the top CDH decks, right? Yeah, it doesn't need a lot of help. Doesn't but need if a lot you had like a casual Najila deck, if that exists, then this <laughs> is going in it. This next one is pretty cool. Atali Primal Storm. A uh, six six four six. Whenever it attacks, you exile the top uh, card of each player's library, and then you may cast any number of spells from among those cards without paying their mana cost. So obviously, extra attack steps with Atali oh, means man. extra cards off the top of everybody's deck that you cast for free. So I think Atali Morog and yeah. a fetch land with three combat phases. It's over. You should just win right yeah, then, it's or over. just destroy the board. Yeah. Um, I think you play this in the Paco <clears throat> and Haldan deck even potentially oh, because yeah. you can fetch a lot of cards off more with Paco. You're going to exile a lot of cards. Paco's just going to get massive, maybe kill someone with commander damage. Um, Zendigos, God of Revels. Again, you're just doing attacky, attacky, smash facey. Um, the green and red Omnath as well, just doing a ton of damage to or everyone. Or the new one. Or the newest which one. Which we're going to yeah, talk about in a minute. About. Yeah. Because yep. it's just going to hit a lot of um, landfalls. Yep. Uh, yep. I wanted to talk here really quickly. In Boros, I think this is good. You know, I've been playing around with Boros a little bit lately, and I think the fetch land plan in Boros is one of the good ways to kind of make up for card uh, mm-hmm. card disadvantage that it has in other areas. Yeah. So like you were saying, all the fetch lands that are off color, the Crucible of Worlds type package, white has a lot of ways to go find uh, artifacts, so you can go find that Crucible of Worlds. And then you've got the Savine's Reclamations and the brought backs and things that say like permanents that have gone to the graveyard this turn you can bring them back into play that kind of stuff with oh, fetch cool. lands are really yeah, yeah, really yeah. good and that's a way to get not only ramp but card advantage in boros and so i think marag actually fits pretty well into that style of boros deck which i'm beginning to sort of play around with and i think is a powerful way to build boros yep so i do that's like cool. Morag quite a bit um in the right deck uh in the, in the 99 not just yeah 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 and it's six mana so you do want to find ways to ramp it out i think but yeah pretty cool pretty cool card all right, let's talk about the next one. This was the front-facing commander from the Naya Landfall Precon deck from uh, Zendikar Rising. It's Obun, Moldiah Ancestor. It's one, a red, a green, and a white, so four mana total for a 3-3 three, three elf spirit. At the beginning of combat on your turn, up to one target land you control becomes an XX elemental creature with trample and haste until end of turn, where X is Obun's power. It's still a land, and it has landfall. Whenever land enters battlefield under your control, put a 1-1 counter on target creature. So probably what you do is play a land, put a 1-1 counter on a boon, and then it's a 4-4 now, which means it turns one of your lands into a 4-4 with trample Mm -hmm. and haste until end of turn. Uh, We did do the budget upgrade guide for this deck. It's already on our channel, so we're not going to go into this a ton, but again, that was a budget upgrade guide, so this does give us the chance to talk about some cards maybe that aren't budget and maybe some some cards that we didn't talk about in that episode. Yeah, uh, Fertilid's a fun, easy combo with this because it's a card where you remove plus one, plus encounters to get uh, a basic land card out of your library. So the land you, comes into play, the put the one more counter back 
on Fertilid. Yep, and then so you can just keep doing that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, I think the favorite card that you mentioned was Terra Eternal, which is all lands have indestructible, and when your lands are turning into creatures, that's pretty good. Sword of the Animist, another card puts lands into play, uh, so that's obviously going to be good. Here's a cool card. Yeah, Trample Tribal. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, Trample Tribal. You know how we've had like Death Touch Tribal, Min- yeah. Minache Tribal? I think they need more Trample Tribal. It sounds uh, good, too. Yeah. Trample Tribal. So this is Proud Wild Bonder. Two and then two hybrid uh, gruel. So two red, red, two green, green, or two green, red. For a 4-3 with Trample, but creatures you control with Trample have... You may have this creature assign its combat damage as though it weren't blocked. So that will apply to your lands because yeah. Obun gives them trample. And they're all going to be massive and just deal a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quartzwood Crasher, which is a fun one. Two red, red, green for a 6-6 six, six with trample. Whenever one more creature you control with trample deal combat damage to a player, then you go ahead and create an XX green dinosaur beast creature with trample where X is the amount of damage those creatures dealt to that player. So you just start making giant trample creatures. Yep. And then they make more because they have trample. Yeah, I like this one a lot too. I, I, I really hope that they reprint Jumpstart so we can get more of these in the wild yeah so it's funny when we were doing the budget upgrade i was like oh yeah that new card from jumpstart that's probably not expensive because it's new and then i realized oh all the jump card car- jumpstart cards are super expensive oh so expensive because they didn't print enough of the set and nobody could get a hold of it i hope Please they're doing print a, more yeah i hope they're doing a second print run so this one's naith of the dire hunt two green green legendary human warrior a three three whenever one or more creatures you control fight or become blocked draw a card that's just good at the beginning of combat on your turn you may pay two uh, Two red green, sorry, two and a hybrid red green, so three mana total. If you do, you double target creature's power until end of turn, and that creature must be blocked to this combat if able. Whew. So this is a way to double either Obun's power, which is probably the right way to go, right? Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of combat on your turn, you can pay two red green, double Obun's power, and if you stack that trigger first, Obun will have, you know, six power, maybe eight power, and then is uh, Obun's trigger goes off and makes one of your lands into an 8-8. Eight, eight. Yeah. Yeah, and now you're off to the races, right? Because Obun's swinging in for a ton. Your lands are getting even bigger. And then as you play more lands, that's doubling Obun's power even more. It's like Xenagos, which we talked about briefly on the episode. Which they is have to card. be blocked as well. So yeah. you draw a card off of it. You're probably killing creatures. And if you want to put more fight cards in there as well, Nyth is really cool, though. It's just a Gruul commander, but great in these sort of Trample Matters type decks. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Obun. I think it's going to be a fun one. It's a cool way to build a landfall deck that's a little bit different than the other landfall decks. Yeah, and not to mention this is on the <clears throat> Commander Precon, so this isn't supposed to be a busted power level. And I've seen right. a lot of commentary actually being like, hey, this is a really good spot for a fun intro commander that... It's not busted. It's not going to break the format, but you can definitely do fun stuff with it, and no one's going to look at that deck and be like, remove on site. Right. Yeah, you're going to get to play your deck. Yeah, exactly. But it's still going to do powerful stuff and be strong. Yep. Okay, this next one is one that a lot of people have been talking about because this it's another... This one is very powerful. It's a four-color commander. It's red, green, white, and blue for a Omnath Locus of Creation. Each of his hands now, if you notice, has become one of the oh, colors. Yeah. Um, He's like the Fantastic Four. They each have like yeah, one thing. They he'll can eventually do. pop out the fifth arm and become five color. I think uh, Omnath has had so a many purple arms. Yeah, you could also do Omnath Tribal. Put every Omnath in this deck. <laughs> so it's a four four. Uh, when Omnath enters the battlefield, draw a card. Why the heck did it need that? Just by the way, gravy it, it on top. It doesn't need that ability. Well, that's uh, by the way one of the many ways you just get to draw your yep. deck now with some combos. Okay, it has landfall though. 
Whenever a land enters the battlefield under control, you gain four life if this is the first time this ability has resolved this turn. If it's the second time, add red, green, white, and blue mana. If it's the third time, Omneth deals four damage to each opponent and each planeswalker you don't control. So basically, if you play Omneth, have a fetch land out, play the fetch land, that's landfall trigger number one, sack it, landfall trigger number two, you, you get, get four, four mana. mana. You can The basic casting cost of Omneth. And then if you were able to, again, play another land or fetch, do another fetch land type thing or any other of these effects that we've talked about, you deal four damage to each opponent in each planeswalk you don't control. And you can play, basically, you can play every single fetch land in this deck. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because it, yeah, it's just missing yeah. black. So you can play pretty much every single There's one. There's no fetch land that just gets black. So yeah. the, you can play all of them. Four mana from a fetch land. We know how powerful Lotus Cobra is, right? Like, yeah. that thing just does so much work every time it's out. This is often better than that plus there's all kind of this tricky crap you can do so obviously this deck wants all the landfall staples that we talked about earlier yep so does obun by the way yeah all of them do (laughs) um if you can afford it obviously much better case of doing so in omnath because not affording it but just putting more of them in because you have four colors so you you need to make sure you can put all the panoramas and stuff or whatever right my goodness yeah you play omnath and you can just cast so much stuff off it because of that second trigger you're not even really looking for the third one necessarily i think like it's gravy on top uh in general that second one is just going to net you so much mana and you can play cards like Knight of the Reliquary, which you can tap to sacrifice a Forester Plains to search your library for a land card, put it on the battlefield. So that's a way to get to that third land if you have a fetch land on top. Plus, it's this turn. So you right. could, if you have two fetch lands out, crack it on my turn. And then, you know, if I can somehow get a land into play and crack a fetch land on your turn, Jimmy, I could get the four mana get on your turn. Yeah, and then you can do stuff with that man on each turn. You can yeah. dump it into different things. You can play cards like Uro, which are going to come into the battlefield, gain you life, and drop another land onto the battlefield. Um, if you're just dropping a bunch of lands on the battlefield, play Field of the Dead, and now you get a bunch of Zombos out there, too. May as well. Yeah, may as well. Um, there's, uh, what is this next one? Oh, Kaneos and Tiro are in the same colors, so this is the same four-color combination, and they allow you to draw cards and drop extra lands into play, so that's also really, really good. Yep. Risen Reef, yeah, yeah, which is, again, it's an elemental matters, Uh, and if it's a land card, whatever time an elemental enters the battlefield, you can put it onto the battlefield tapped, so you're going to just want to play all those types of cards. If you have a Lotus Cobra out, you're just gaining, like, six mana off of a fetch land and the second trigger from all Like, you just win. Like, I don't care. (laughs) If if play a land gets me six mana, like, there's no way that my... Okay, Let's let's pause here because there's an interesting combo yes. that uh, that you wrote down here. So let's walk through it. So Ghostly Flicker plus a dual caster mage. Ghostly Flicker is two in the blue for an instant. You can exile two artifacts, creatures, and or lands you control, then return those cards to the battlefield under your control. So just by itself, you can exile two of your own lands and get two landfall triggers. Yeah. Right? Or you know, Omnath and a land. Yes, and when you flicker Omnath, the landfall triggers are going to reset. So the next time you play a land with the new version of Omnath back out there, you're going to start the cycle Oh, over so you again. go fetch land, crack it, get your four mana. Now play Ghostly Flicker targeting Omnath and a land. So Omnath comes out, sees the one come in, and now it's started over. That's the one landfall trigger. Then if you could get another landfall trigger, you get yeah. four more mana. Plus you draw a card because Omnath draws a card when it enters the battlefield. Yeah, which is nuts. But if you pair up Ghostly Flicker with a dual caster mage, which is a 2-2, one red, red flash, when it enters the battlefield, copy target instant or sorcery spell, you can choose new targets for the copy. So you cast Ghostly Flicker. In response, you are going to cast dual caster mage. Dual caster mage is going to copy the Ghostly Flicker. And you can basically just copy the Ghostly Flicker and the dual caster. You copy the dual caster mage and the Omnath. You mean you blink. You blink, sorry. And so they're going to keep coming back in, recopying that, and you're just going to draw your entire deck. Right, so until you decide, Ghostly Flicker flickers dual caster mage, which copies Ghostly Flicker again. So you have infinite Ghostly Flickers. 
and yeah. just infinitely fl- flicker Omnath to and dual caster mage to keep the dual caster mage coming in and yeah. popping another ghostly flicker. And then you can just target your lands after you don't want to draw cards anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Because ghostly flicker can target a land. Yeah. Card and they come back untapped. Lands. Yep. So now it'll untap all your lands, which you can float all the mana, <laughs> right? And then cast all the cards that you drew. Yeah. So, and the fact that Ghostly Flicker is already good in the deck outside of Dual Caster Mage, like, it's just good if you just draw it and don't have Dual Caster Mage. Yeah, that's a pretty legit combo. Yeah, Dual Caster Mage being a creature is what makes it so special because the, otherwise you wouldn't be able to flicker it and abuse it like that. So I think Omnath is just nuts. Um, it's one of those cards that's going to be remove on site. Um, there's going to be a lot more infinite combos that people discover down the line. Why it, does it enter the battlefield and draw a card? It does not need that. It definitely does not need that. That just seems nuts to me that they were like, hmm, you know what? This card's not good enough. Let's push it just a little more. What else can we do here? Yeah, it replace itself. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I'm going to put it in the special pile of most powerful cards or interesting ones because yeah. this one is up there. All right. Let's talk about the next one. A lot of people have been messaging me about it. It's Aura. Oh, I bet. I know Aura. why. Aura. I don't want it to pronounce Aura because we already have Auras. Aura. Skyclave Herophant. Two, a white and a black for a 3-3 core cleric with lifelink. Whenever Aura or another cleric you control dies... Return target cleric card with lesser converted mana cost from your graveyard to the battlefield. All right, go ahead and ask me, Jimmy. Hey, what card is a cleric that you've played many copies of in the deck before? <laughs> Shadowborn Apostle, maybe? Yeah. This is not a good Shadowborn Apostle commander. Oh, but everyone might think it is. Everyone that they're thinks it you? is. Let me tell you why it's not good. Because it says... Return target cleric card with lesser converted mana cost from your graveyard to the battlefield. So a uh, Shadowborn Apostle dying does not get you a Shadowborn Apostle from your graveyard back. Yep, it actually, because they're all one CMC, it needs to be equal to or lesser on the Ora text, but it just says lesser, so... You can only get zero casting cost clerics with a Shadowborn Apostle dying. And yeah. since 31 of the cards in the deck are Shadowborn Apostles, you don't want to do that. Yep, so yeah. is probably still the yeah. better Shadowborn Apostle uh, commander here. Yeah, or one of the monsters black ones it's definitely not aura i think aura is interesting in some other decks though yeah it could also be a cleric tribal deck there are a bunch of interesting clerics that are really low cmc so you can sort of get into these aristocracy type moments Mm -hmm. where you're sacking one thing to get them back over and over again um something like archfiend's vessel which is a black one one lifelink creature when it enters the battlefield if it entered from your graveyard or if you cast it from your graveyard you exile it and then you create a five five black deeming token with flying so that's just a fun way of like oh what do i have my graveyard oh this can turn into a a five five flyer it exiles its though this one's actually really interesting too it's ashes of the fallen two mana for an artifact as it enters the battlefield you choose a creature type probably cleric (laughs) and then each creature card in your graveyard has the chosen creature type in addition to its others types so this allows you to get things that aren't clerics technically back from your graveyard on with Ora's trigger yep Uh, i think if you're playing an ailey eternal pilgrim deck people have made this to be a very much a core uh, a cleric tribal deck so that's again another place where either Ora's in it or ailey's in the Ora deck uh, Whisper, Blood Liturgist, is uh, three and a black for a legendary human cleric, 2-2, two, two, but you can tap and sacrifice two creatures, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. This is, I think, definitely in the deck because it's a cleric, so you can get it back with Ora, but mm. also it's doing exactly what Ora wants to do, which is it's going to have like these sort of um, redundant eggs. combo pieces, yeah, yeah. eggs or uh, KCI type pieces. Like Scrap Trawler is the thing that I think of when I look at Ora. Right, right. And so what 
Scrap Trawler does is kind of have these synergistic, repetitive pieces and just sack them, bring them back, sack them, bring them back, and do this whole cartwheel and circus. And you're like, okay, what's going on? Are we dead? <laughs> and they're like, yes, you're dead. And that's how this is probably going to play out. Or just like, no, you're not dead, but I drew 17 cards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you had to sack all your creatures somewhere in there. And, you know, yeah. I wish I were dead. Uh, Taste of Karlov is one you put down. I thought it was really good. Two white and a black for a legendary human advisor. Two four. If a creature dying causes a triggered ability of a permanent, you control the trigger that ability triggers an additional time yep. so again you can just sort of have Ora, thanks to his ability trigger twice bring two things back and really just get that chain going a benevolent bodyguard is an underrated card it's a white mana for a human cleric a one one but you can sacrifice it and target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn so it's a mother of runes mother of runes but it's in a this little, case it's one time use but it's faster right it doesn't need haste yeah and it will come back thanks to aura so again if you're playing the aristocrats version of this deck you really do want to want, want a lot of like one two three four drops in like the correct balance because yeah. you want to really like this thing dies i get this back then that dies i get the next thing back and all the way down the chain until one that's what scrap crawler does that's what you're going to want to do and put that with a blood artist and now you're in business yep uh doomed necromancer two and a black creature human cleric mercy scenario was a 2-2 you can pay a black and tap it sacrifice it return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield so that's going to be a double trigger with aura out you're going to get another cleric back as well as maybe a itabatrace or whatever you know your massive thing is i like this one a lot because it allows you to get something back that's higher up on the chain oh and, and then, then you, you can sack it and go down the chain again getting the doom necromancer yeah. back along the way i put lightning greaves because if you have greaves out you can always once you get the doom necromancer back slide the thing greaves onto on. it and so that's a way to just keep a chain going. Yeah. Because that's the hard thing with Scrap Trawler and, and Ora type chains is like, you have a four drop, it turns into a three drop, it turns into a two drop, turns into a one drop. Well, Game over. <laughs> what can I do? Yeah. But if I have Doom Necromancer, I go, boom, get the five drop back, turns into a four drop, turns into a three drop. Yeah. Three drop is Doom Necromancer. Two drop, one drop, Doom Necromancer gets the five drop back. And now I'm just like, you know, it's over. I won. I'm just going to do this I hope you had fun. As long as I have black mana. Yeah. And you can just do that with a Phyrexian Altar. And yeah, yeah. Mana, yeah. It's, I love that. That gives you the black mana for the Doom Necromancer. Yep. Yep. Okay, so this card I think is actually pretty sweet, pretty exciting, but it's not the Shadowborn Apostles deck. No, it's not the Shadowborn Apostles yeah. deck. Okay. That doesn't mean it's not cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, It's next. Aristoclerics. Aristoclerics. I like it. That's like Artifactocrats. Artifactocrats. That just sounds weird. <laughs> Factocrats. <laughs> All right, cat facts. Uh, next up is Phylath, World Sculptor, for a red and a green for a 5-5 five, five legendary creature elemental. When Phylath enters the battlefield, create a 0-1 green plant creature token for each basic land you control. And it has landfall whenever a land enters the battlefield on your control, under your control. Put four plus one plus one counters on target plant you control. So this is the deck, spoiler alert, that I played in the newest game nights for Zendikar Rising. Uh, pretty exciting. Um... Four plus one plus one counters on plants. It's a lot. That's a lot, especially because you're running, like we said before, all the landfall stuff we talked about. So you can, at sometimes you can put like 12 plus one plus one counters on a creature if you build it right. It gets out of hand like super fast. Yeah. Uh, finally, Avenger of Zendikar and the and this deck card just like go hand in hand. Because it makes plants. Yeah, based on the number of lands you have as well. Um, so, but this There are a surprising amount of things that make plants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that I actually liked about this is that there are a lot of plants that are just fun plants that you can play in this deck. Like Bloom Hulk is a 4-4 four, four for 3 in the green. That's a plant elemental. And when it enters the battlefield, you do proliferate. So mm-hmm. if you're spreading your counters wide, then you get to build it up again. Evolution Sage oh boy. cares about lands entering the battlefield, and then you proliferate again. This is actually my favorite card in the deck. It's Elysian Caryatid. It's a 1 green plant. 
and it can tap to add one mana of any color. If you control a creature with power four or greater, add two mana of any one color instead. Nice. Typically, these cards say Defender on them. Right, this doesn't, so, so eventually you can attack with it. It's yeah. A, that's a perfect mana dork, right? It's a mana dork early, it's a threat late. Yeah, and it's a plant of all things. Yep. Um, I think you play Slippery Bog Bonder in this deck. It's three and a green for a three, three, flash hexproof. When it enters the battlefield, you put a hexproof counter on target creature, and then you move any number of counters from among creatures you control onto that oh, creature. Wow. So you're like, I'm going to make this one huge because it's hexproof now. Yeah, and someone tried to target it with something, so yeah. you flash in the Bog Bonder and then you just make it a 50 50 or whatever That's it is. That's really cool. Uh, Tree of Redemption is a plant. It's a 0 13, but you can tap it to exchange your life total with Tree of Redemption's toughness. So this actually could gain you a lot of life if you just keep stacking stuff on Interesting. it. Interesting, yeah, yeah. I think there's a deck, too, because there are a lot of plants that are uh, defender-type, like, walls mm -hmm. that uh, that can tap for mana. You can play, like, the defense form assault formations or whatever. Oh, yeah, That yeah. give you the ability to make your creatures a defender attack. So that's, like, another deck type I think you can go with this. Uh, and oh then boy. this might be the best card in the deck. Probably is. It's greater good. Two green green for enchantment. You sack a creature, draw cards equal to the sacrifice creature's power, then discard three cards. So, because one thing Phyleth does really well is just give you a bunch of really beefy creatures. Like, mm -hmm. you tend to just look down and you're like, I got two eight eight two eight nines, a four five, and a five five. Yeah, and a twelve thirteen. Yeah, and you're like, like uh, whoa. Ed, would you like to turn all those into cards? Yes, I would. Thank yes, you. I would. Especially because you're going to be really prone to people trying to remove your stuff because it's just massive creatures. Yeah, at so. some point in the game against that deck, everyone's like, hey, who's got a board wipe? We have to do that now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty cool. Okay, moving right, on. Moving on. We've got a mono black commander named... Taborax, Hope's Demise, two and a black for a 2-2 flyer, Demon Cleric. Interesting. Uh, it's a cheap demon. You don't see a lot of those. Taborax right. has lifelink as long as it has five or more 1-1 counters on it. Hot. <laughs> Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, put a 1-1 counter on Taborax. And then if that creature has, or sorry, if that creature was a cleric, you may draw a card if you do lose one life. So this is the in the cleric tribal deck makes sense because parties clerics matter we've seen right. realms matter stuff we've seen wizards matter stuff they're trying to add support for everything here and so this is a this definitely goes in the shadowborn apostles yes. deck right this is like a slam dunk in that yeah. deck because you can go find them. it yeah, and yeah now yeah. when you sack them they're gonna make it bigger and you're gonna draw cards off of it yeah it becomes a frexian arena for you but at instant speed with a sack outlet and your shadowborn apostles so i think just any cleric deck or deck with a lot of clerics wants this card but outside of that i don't think you probably play it right yeah you play this in the Ora deck you play this in ailey and that's about it not too exciting otherwise this next one though pretty exciting super interesting yeah it's it's the party commander right yeah this is the party <laughs> tazri throwing a party yeah just Sorry. the lights come down okay tazri beacon of unity four and a white for a four six human warrior says this spell costs one less to cast for each creature in your party so it can get down to just white that's fun if you already have the full party and then the cast, the activated ability has a weird activation cost. So it's that thing where there's either two generic or a color. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of so like the Scarecrow, right? It's kind of like Beseech the Queen. Yeah, yeah, Beseech too. Yeah, yeah. So it's either two mana or blue, two mana or black, two mana or red, two mana or green. So it's either four mana if you have exactly blue, black, red, and green. Mm-hmm. Or it's some combination of eight mana or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. You have to watch the YouTube video to understand that. I can't explain it. Anyway. <laughs> Just look at the text and you'll understand, yeah. You play. You pay that, and then you look at the top six cards of your library, and you may reveal up to two clerics, rogues, wizard, warrior, 
and or ally cards from among them and put them into your hand. Allies. Put course. the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. This harkens back to Tazri who cares who's cared about allies in, in the, the past. past. Yeah. Even though allies don't matter for party or anything. Mm-hmm. You can only get two total, right? That's the most you can get. You may reveal up to two. And so you look at top six and you get at most two cards. So it's four mana, draw two, and you can whiff. You can only get one, you can get zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're probably not getting zero. Hopefully your deck has like 30, 35 creatures and they're all one of these things at least. Yeah. But yeah. four mana draw two is still not fantastic. No, it's not great. But it is the deck for if you're going to build around party cards. Yep. Um, and if you're uh, a changeling tribal deck, I think this is a great commander for that potentially as well. Yep. Um, just because you're going to almost guaranteed play a one mana four six and then you can just at any time if you want pay that mana to draw more cards. It's a five color deck as well. Uh, a big shout out to Morphon, but also this like, have you seen this Dungeon Master Planeswalker card that was like designed for uh, people at Wizards? It's Wait, like, what? There's only like four of them in existence. It's a fake planeswalker that was given to like a design team on the D&D side. Oh, like an internal yeah, award internal, or something? Yeah. yeah, so you'll see it up on the screen now, but it's a planeswalker that has like, it's it comes in with a loyalty of 1d4 plus 1. <laughs> so you have to roll it. Yeah, yeah but if you minus 6 it, you get an adventuring party, which is a 3-3 red fighter, a 1-1 white cleric, a 0-2, a 2-2 black rogue, and a 1-1 blue wizard. So it doesn't have a warrior, it's a fighter in this one. So it's, uh, I think this was like prior to them fully designing what the uh, the party was about. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. Well, the the equivalent of that card that's actually legal is <laughs> Outlaw's Merriment. This is a cool card. Came out pretty recently. It's one a red and two white. So four mana for an enchantment. It says at the beginning of your upkeep, choose one at random. Create a red and white creature token with those characteristics. So all of these are going to be red white, and you're either going to get a three one warrior with trample and haste, a two one cleric with lifelink and haste, a one two human rogue with haste, and when this creature enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to any target. So this is going to give you possibly one of three different party members won't give you wizard but it can give you warrior cleric and or rogue yeah and it gives you one per upkeep pretty cool um i think this deck if you want to build it casual way goes that way if you want to be a little more serious you're playing a changeling tribal uh with a training grounds in there or a because training grounds activated abilities you control cost up to two less to activate and this means that you can actually reduce just straight up two from this Mm -hmm. if you have zerda out you can reduce four right right so it could just just cost red green or green black or any combination of then it becomes really good yeah because two mana draw two multiple times a turn too um I you think, have to have Zerta and Training Grounds out, though. So, yeah. Biomancer's familiar, too, you could put in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you actually do play... If you're going for the yeah. more competitive version and you there's, want to draw I don't know that cards. there's a competitive version of Tazri. There's Sorry, just, like, a powerful... Powerful. There's, like, an, there's like a eight, <laughs> maybe. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's a fun, flavorful deck, anyway. Well, it's five-color. You know what? There probably is a CEDH deck, because there are CEDH decks that don't care what the commander is. Right. There's just a five-color shell, and you could play that, and it would probably be you know, CEDH viable. Yeah, totally. Okay. Okay, next up is Verazol, the Split Current. It's a X green blue zero zero legendary creature serpent. It enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each mana spent to cast it. So if you cast this just for green blue, it's a two, two. Mm. Whenever you cast a kick spell, you may remove two plus one, plus one counters from Verazol. If you do copy that spell, you may choose new targets for the copy. However, it also says just copy that spell. So if you become, oh. if you copy a permanent with Kicker on it, you just get another copy of that permanent. You get a token copy. A token copy, yes. yeah. This is this set brought that in for the first time where you can copy spells. Yeah, it's I not mean, gonna it's not gonna copy the permanent and give you Kicker again. You're just copying the permanent itself. Oh, you don't get it kicked when it when you copy it. I don't it? believe so because oh, I know you get it kicked when you copy an instant or sorcery. 
I don't know what it does with the permanent. Well, maybe you do actually because it has the kicker text on it. Yeah, you know what? I think you do get the kick version of it. Yeah, because I know if you like, and spoiler alert, this is one of the cards that's going to be good with this card. If you if you fork a right of replication that's been kicked, you do get five copies again. Okay, so then you definitely, I think you do. <laughs> so definitely we think that. We definitely do Please think that. Please check with the judge uh, because we are not <laughs> judges and sometimes we get this stuff wrong, but it's kicker tribal. Yeah. Um, but, it's, the- but it finally is like, hey you're going to get a token copy of, of an artifact or something if, if you, right? Like yeah. If there's a kicker on it. And a lot of the kicked cards care about plus one, plus one counters as well. So that means you're going to play your hardened scales in this deck, your uh, forgotten ancients, cards that are going to move plus one, plus one counters around. And then basically you just look at the list of kick spells in green and blue and just see how much value you can get out of them with yeah, where the best ones all out. Yeah. Uh, Blink of an Eye is a really easy one. For one in the blue, you can kick it for another one in the blue. So it's... Uh, Generic two blue blue. Uh, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, and if it was kicked, you draw a card. So you bounce two permanents, draw two cards for four mana. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, canopy surge is something that deals one damage to each creature with flying in each creature, but if you kick it, so it's going to be three green, it deals four damage to each creature with flying in each player, but with Verizal out, that's eight damage. damage. Yeah, for and four, doesn't hit Verizal because it doesn't fly. For four mana, which is pretty good. Sentinel Wood Readers is a two and a green creature with kicker for two and a green, and when it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, you draw two cards. So now if it's six mana, draw four cards. And make two one fours. And make two one fours, yeah. yeah. Uh, I grow like this f- one. Yeah, I like this one too. Grow from the ashes. Of course, we just like the one that puts land in the play. <laughs> We're so boring. <laughs> well, with all this landfall out, maybe not that boring, you know? Two and a green for a sorcery, but kicker of two, search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, untapped, and then shuffle your library. But if it was kicked, you search your library for two basic land cards instead. So you get four lands untapped for five mana, which means you basically get four lands into play for one mana yeah. with Verizal. That seems broken. Yeah, that seems pretty nuts. <laughs> That's uh, our favorite. Uh, sorry, everybody. <laughs> Hunting Wilds, three and a green with a kicker of three and a green, so that would be eight mana total, which is a lot. But search your library for up to two forest cards, put them onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle your library. But if it was kicked then you untap all forests put onto the battlefield this way and they become three three green creatures with haste that are still land so hmm. this is kind of be like a weird finisher where you put you know four lands on the battlefield they all become three threes with haste interesting and right then the big rep- one you said yeah, yeah this right is of replication one. of course if you kick it then you create five copies of something so obviously with Verizal that's 10 copies that's pretty much you can usually find a way to win especially if you've got things that say like when they enter the battlefield draw two cards and crap yeah, on it yeah it's a big GG uh, Wolfbriar Elemental 2 green green with a multi kicker so you can pay green any number of times uh, when you cast the spell and you get a 2-2 green wolf creature token for each time it was kicked so even if it was two th- uh, let's say you just kick it once it's just five mana then you get two four fours and two two, two, two twos so and if you kick it like four times now it's eight two twos and two four fours yeah 16 that's 24 power and toughness on the board all at once so pretty good yeah enjoy it kicker tribal kicker tribal all right we got three to go kick it down oh, that's we could have done that uh, beastie oh, boys song man. yeah 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 next time next we time. have a set review oh that's right yeah now you know the song <laughs> if we remember it or don't change it <laughs> all right the next one is yasharn implacable earth two a green and a white four mana for a four four elemental boar when Yasharn enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic forest card and a basic plains card. Reveal those cards, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. So it's into hand, not into play. So it's not ramp. Players can pay life. And then this is a totally separate ability. Players can't pay life or sacrifice non-land permanents to cast spells or activate abilities. Wow. So this is anti-aristocrats. Yeah, it's kind of like a... Yeah, it's like a... I wouldn't play this as commander. 
I think this goes well in like a Karametra deck just because of that second ability as well. Like Karametra, you're also going to be drawing, getting a lot more lands in your hand. And this is sort of just like an a ace in the hole or a silver bullet against certain decks. It's kind of like an interesting hate bear, but it's not a bear. It's a four, four for four. It's a hate boar. But turning off like <laughs> Phyrexian altars, Ashnod altars. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of stuff like that is interesting because... A lot of decks want to do stuff like that, like sacrifice their stuff and get into those loops, like Scrap Trawler, Ora decks. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. They just see this card and they're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. You're oh, sharp. No. Now they have to get rid of it. Yeah, so um, I don't know. What else you got for this card? That's all. I don't know. Landfall Matters type cards because you're going to get some lands out of it. I, I really don't think this is a great commander. It's just definitely yeah. a... It's but a, like it might a, be decent in a deck, kind of like a Ruminic Armasaur or something like that. Yeah. That's like targets a specific strategy but it does stop a decent number of combos like karmic guide combos revelar combos like you know all those there's ones also the black cards that and pay grave, two life draw a card type yeah. things greed grave crawler that. type shenanigans that kind of stuff yeah most of that's gone if your sharn's out so that's interesting yeah so i think if you have see a lot of those cards in your meta and you're playing green and white it's it's you know it's not bad for four mana you're getting a forest and a plane it draws you two cards hand. when it comes out yeah so yeah. that's actually it's it's similar to solemn in a way but it doesn't go on the battlefield okay Zagris, Thief of Heartbeats, is next up. He's a heart stealer. Four, a black, and a red. <laughs> He's a heartbreaker. It's, that's the song. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. It was only for one card. <laughs> we, shouldn't say, we shouldn't say that card. Yeah. Four, four, Vampire Rogue. This spell costs one less to cast for each creature in your party, so it could just cost black, red for a four, four. Flyer. Yeah. With Death Touch. And Haste. Yep. Other creatures you control have Death Touch. Death and, Touch Tribal. And whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, destroy that Planeswalker. Sorry, combat damage to a planeswalker destroy that planeswalker. Oh, it has planeswalker death touch. So it's like stealing the hearts or the sparks. It should be a thief of spark beats or something. Spark beats? Yeah, because <laughs> it's killing planeswalkers, right? Yeah. Um, death touch tribal, though, is something we've seen over and over again now, more recently. Um, finally, I think this fits in the Kelsey and the Plague deck, mm-hmm. which is red, white, black, and it has a tapper to deal damage to a target creature you don't control. Um, and when it dies, you get an experience counter, and Kelsey just gets bigger and bigger. Goblin sharpshooter. Yeah. Goes in this deck or you could put this in any deck that has the right colors and goblin sharpshooter already in it the death touch tribal works really well on fantas the war weaver because uh-huh. it makes all creatures attack each combat if able so it's really hard for them to block because all your creatures have death touch interesting hooded blight fang is a card that says whenever a creature you control with death touch deals damage to a planeswalker destroy the planeswalker whenever a creature you control with death touch attack each opponent loses one life and you gain one life so now you can just like swing out with your board and potentially drain like you know a bunch because mm-hmm. it's whenever a creature you control attacks so it can trigger multiple times you put grevin down i don't know if i'd put it in grevin though uh, really yeah because well grevin has menace and usually death touch is good with menace because if they have to block with two creatures you get to kill both creatures but Usually, if they're doing that, Grevin's dying and killing their thing anyway. Right. I guess you just want to only just sacrifice the creatures with Grevin to draw a bunch of cards. Yeah, and Grevin's usually like 10 power, so they double block, both things die, but it only has five toughness, so it dies, so it's kind of the same as if it had death touch. Oh, right, right, right. I do like um, Viridian Longbow and Thornbite Staff, which are both cards that... um, give your creatures the ability to be Tims to tap yeah. and ping things. So if they have death touch, they'll just kill the things. Also in red, there are a number of Tim cards. So prodigal pyromancer, uh, Volshock sorcerer, which has haste makes it a little bit better. And then blood cultist are all just variations on creatures that tap and deal one damage. Which That's is just, funny. Yeah. Red. Yeah. I red mean, should be the color that has that. The fact that blue had it in early magic makes no sense, except for the fact that they didn't know what the color pie was. Yeah, yet. They're zapping people, yeah. I guess <laughs> with blue lightning. Um, and of course, you can, you know, just give stuff first strike. So it's really hard to block them. Oh, yeah. First strike is really good with Death Touch, again, if you don't know, because 
Trample too, actually. Yeah, but yeah, trample is good because you only have to assign one damage to the creature, and then all the rest can go through the player because you only have to assign enough damage to kill the creature that's being blocked mm-hmm. or that's blocking it. First strike's even better sometimes because even if a 10-10 blocks a 4-4, if the 4-4 has death touch and first strike, it's going to deal its damage first, and then the creature will die before it can deal its damage back. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Zagreus is interesting, probably more of an in the 99 card than a... Yeah, But totally. there, you know, we're moving towards this key uh, word or or key ability tribal, tribal. like trample tribal, death Menace. tribal, Menace tribal. So as that continues to happen and it feels like they're leaning into that direction, those are going to be real decks in the future. And Zagreus, so Zagreus might be like the linchpin of a, a good Death Touch tribal deck, you know, in the next couple of years. Keep an eye out. And often it'll reduce, be reduced by like one or two maybe. Just, Which is pretty just good. Incidentally, yeah. yeah. All right. The very final legendary creature that we're going to talk about and the final one from this set is Zareth San, the Trickster. It's three, a blue and a black for a 4-4 four, four Merfolk Rogue. Has flash. And you can... <laughs> you can pay two, a blue, and a black and return an unblocked attacking rogue you control to its owner's hand. Put Zareth, Zareth San, the trickster, from your hand onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking. So that is just straight up ninjutsu, but it's for an unblocked rogue. Rogue jutsu. Rogue jutsu, okay. And then whenever Zareth San deals combat damage to a player... You may put target permanent card from that player's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Permanent card. Permanent enchantments. You don't have to pay any mana cards either. Artifacts. Creatures, obviously. Planeswalkers. So, you know, this is interesting because when we were doing the Anawan um, Mm pre-con upgrade, I was like looking and I was like, why aren't all the ninjas rogues? Yeah, right? like they feel like similar. Yeah, yeah, they're very similar. And so they obviously it's like saying hounds or dogs. Yeah, and Gavin <laughs> Verhey or somebody over at Wizards, I don't know who designed these, this card or any of these cards. So it's pro- maybe not Gavin. Anyway, somebody over there evidently thought the same thing. And they were like, well, let's just cr- at least create one rogue that has yeah. ninjutsu, right? This actually works really well in the Anawan deck, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I think like with this card, you want to start aggressively milling people because who knows what you're going to do. The mill in. matters more, right? Yeah. If you want to get the best thing out of, if they only have three things in there, what are the chances it's good? But if they have 20 things in there. Yeah, Zareth not good as a commander because you can't return it from, you can't use his ability from the command zone. So I think you have him just in the 99 of Anawan. You'd have to jump through a bunch of hoops to f- get him out and then bounce him back to your hand. But just Crystal Shard and that's Erratic Portal and stuff will get yeah, it there. Yeah, And then you're playing Mind Crank because you're doing a lot of damage with Anawans attacking creatures. And then, boom, they're losing life and milling cards. Mirko Vosk dealing combat damage. They're revealing cards from the Traveler Library until they reveal four land cards. So that's going to melt oh, them yeah. super fast. Not not to mention the lands you can reanimate so you can grab like a Gaius Cradle potentially. the right move a lot of times is to get extra mana. Yeah, Fleet Swallower just uh, mills half their library, okay. rounded up. Uh, and then, of course, Sir Conrad the Grim is just, again, a great card here because, you know, creature is going to be put into the graveyard. Also, we get in trouble if we don't mention him at least once per episode. Yeah, so I think, like, this deck is very real now. The Anawan deck does seem like a really fun rogue tribal deck. Yep. Um, especially if you got Zareth Sound in there, and I feel like you're going to want to get him into your hand, tutor him out, just because he seems like one of the best cards in the deck. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like this card quite a bit. I, it's too bad they didn't. it doesn't have... Um, commander rogue jutsu jutsu yeah like like Yuriko Yuriko. does yeah because you you're right it's hard to play this as your commander although i think like phage and there's been some other decks um you know in the history of commander that have been traditionally like templated in a way that makes them very hard to play as commander right and it is fun to try and jump through the hoops to still make them work so i think you know maybe shard and stuff yeah, yeah you can definitely do it with zareth but people will see it coming for sure 
Okay, so you want to compare this to Ink Eyes. Yeah, so Ink Eyes is a four black black legendary creature, Rat Ninja. That's a 5-4 with ninjutsu, so three black-black return an unblock attacker you control to your hand, and then you put this card on the battlefield from your hand tap and attacking. So it doesn't care if it's a rogue, it's just any unblocked attacker. Uh, and then whenever Ink Eyes deals combat damage, you may put target creature card from that player's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control, and it also has one in the black, Regenerate Ink Eyes. So the question is, this costs one more mana, but it can be any unblocked attacker, and you only get creatures with Ink Eyes, and it's only one color, whereas Zareth Sands 2, but is you have to have an unblocked rogue but you can put permanence on the battlefield. So I think they're like somewhat similar in power level. Well, the, the ninjutsu for ink eyes is five and Zareth Sana is, is four, four yeah. which is a big difference. I and think. you get a lot, you get one more color with Zareth and you get permanence. So I think like ink eyes in the sort of ninja decks can be a lot of fun, but Zareth Sana just seems like it's a little more powerful because you can get planeswalkers and stuff. Also Zareth Sana has flash. So on your end step, flashing it in right. when nobody's got a, when one player doesn't have a blocker and just kind of, I don't care if it's, you know, because the, the text where it deals combat damage and gets something back out of their graveyard is not tied to the unblocked part. That's a good part. point. That's a good point. So you can really just be like, okay, I'm going to flash out because I have a free attack and I'm going to attack you. I'm going to get a permanent. Yeah, and so maybe you can play Zareth as your commander just because you know you can swing and just damage with him and give him unblockable or whatever. Yeah, although pe- people are on to the fact that you can do that if it's in your command zone. They might kind of be more likely to play a blocker or something. Yep. Yeah. Pretty cool, though. Pretty I cool. like the card. All right. Okay. So, Quick so, discussion here. Yeah. What do we think about the general power level of this set? Keep in mind, this is Zendikar Rising. It's a very flavorful set. It's not specifically about Commander, um, but it does seem like the card generally is... The quality is pretty good. There's a lot of build-arounds. Nothing gets busted, which is the thing I care about the most. Yeah, there's no Keenan. There's no Tulane. There's no no Urza. There's no Vanifar, at least as far as we can tell. Sometimes there are like some that are in there that are hidden more than others. Yeah, there is an Omnath. <laughs> the Omnath is probably the most pa- well, I don't want to I don't want to spoil it. We're going to ask what the most powerful commander is. Yeah. Um but I think Omnath is not There's nothing that's just obviously top of the line powerful right out the gate yeah. without thinking about it hard. Like now there might a... Yeah. There might be some that can can get there, but in general, there's just, yeah, Keenan is the one, right? It's just like so obviously crazy powerful. I think this is actually slightly higher than normal power level that you would expect. And I like it because it's so flavorful and based around landfall. So I feel like if the set has good core mechanics, you're in for a better commander experience. Because hmm. they just have more options or more fun ways to deal with it. Because landfall, again, is just something that's going to be very applicable to commander in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then Obun and Anawan, I said this earlier, but I think those are these are right at the exact power level. Like, good for entry level. They are four mana commanders, which is, like, right that sweet spot. You know, if it's two or three mana, then you're getting into the maybe CDH range. So I think that's the right level for them, too. So I, I actually, I appreciate the design of these two cards. Yeah, I think they're both good, and they're, they're like, it's written on each card, sort of what you want to do. Mm-hmm. The fact that Anawan is tied to the milling is the only thing that I don't love about the design right. of both these cards. I think they sit at a good power level, though. I don't know why they had to tie that card draw to the mill, but whatever. Maybe they wanted to make it so that you didn't quite draw one card every time you hit with a rogue. So yeah. I think that's fine. Uh, but I think these set decks, these pre-con decks, um, if, if all the sets are kind of like this, I think that's a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah. Do we know the price point for them yet? We don't at the time of this okay. release. Let's but hope it's. Not we too still crazy. believe that it's going to be low, lower by quite a bit than the normal uh, commander precon. So hopefully that's true. Boy, I hope that's true. Okay, let's talk about our choice for most powerful new commander. I think we're both pretty settled on this. 
Let me think. Let me look here. Vamp for a second. Talk about something, Jimmy. Okay, so uh, you all know I love red, and uh, that actually is (laughs) the truth. (laughs) That's the truth. I love red. (laughs) I love, you know, I I was thinking about my commander strategy, and sometimes I, you know, I played so much at this point that I do really do enjoy the throw like a fireball in the middle of the table and see what happens and then whoever can recover the best from that like wins the game (laughs) like it could be me it could be someone else but i just like throwing in that that's my version of like casting a chaotic a chaos card which is just i am the chaos (laughs) (laughs) see what happens all right, good. Thank you for vamping. I, I appreciate that little insight into Jimmy's mind. <laughs> no worries. All right. Um, okay. Most powerful new commander. The nominees are? Yeah. Okay. Kaza, Royal Chaser. This is the cares about how many wizards you have and reduces the cost of instants and sorceries. Morag, Fury of Akum. This is the landfall taking extra combat step. Ashaya, Soul of the Wild. This is the one that turns all your non-token creatures into forest lands in addition to their other types. And then Omnath, the four color, which draws a card when ETBs and then basically gives you life, but gives you four mana when you can hit landfall twice in a turn. And then also incidentally, sometimes deals damage to everybody. It's really that four mana and drawing a card when you ETBs that makes it's uh, so disgusting. And it's four color. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, you know which one you think is the most powerful? Oh, yeah. All right. Three, two, one. Omnath. Yeah. It also has four colors, which kind of like makes it a winner already because it can just play more cards. Uh, I think Kaz is actually kind of close. I could see this being a very combo-tastic deck. Um, it will do a lot of work in the right build of a deck. It will start reducing mana costs like crazy, especially if you start untapping it as well. But Omnath just by itself is powerful. I think Ashaya is going to be surprisingly powerful. I think mm-hmm. people are going to find out more interesting ways to use that ability. Um, and green's already the most powerful color in Commander yeah. and seems to just get more powerful with every single set. So just mono green doesn't hurt you as much as being mono red, yeah, let's say. totally. So I think... I would put Ashaya maybe as the second most powerful, but I, I like what we talked about a second ago with the general power level of commanders in this set. There's just doesn't seem to be a lot of like insanely broken stuff, but there is a decent amount of interesting things. Yeah, and puts you in a direction, mm-hmm. and I think it makes it easier to build for a lot of people too, because sometimes you see a card like Omnath, and like, I don't actually know what direction I'd want to go with it right. if I wanted to build it, because like, I'd be like, oh, do I want to go more in this way, or do I want to just try and get that triple landfall trigger and win that way, you know? So I think like having Akiri... Put equipment on creatures, swing draw cards. I like my Akiri deck that I built quite a bit. So that's a, it's a cool one. I don't think it's among the most powerful, but that just shows that like just power level isn't the only thing that makes you like a commander or not, right? Yep. Okay. How about favorite overall new commander? Okay. Well, I maybe just gave mine away. (laughs) Well, mine is definitely Morag uh, because I think it's just, again, like even if you're not playing it as commander, I think this is just a really fun red card. It's not a guaranteed win if you do happen to have it go off, but it is a very powerful thing to do. Um, you know, mine's Akiri, Fearless Voyager. I, I just think it's a fun commander deck and it, it makes it fun for me to play Boros, which I can't s- often say. I, I have a Feather deck and I have an Akiri deck. Oh, nice. And Two so, Boros decks. Well, I do have a Fire Song and Sunspeaker deck, but it's not that great. So It's been, hasn't been disassembled yet. It hasn't been, been nice. tweaked or tuned up and it probably won't be. Um, yeah. You know, one card we didn't mention in the most powerful that is possibly could be in that discussion is Ora, mm. the Skyclave Hierophant, the one that scrap trawlers for clerics. For clerics, yeah. There are a yeah. lot of clerics out now. So. And it might take some time for people to figure out like what how those combos sort of work together, but that's the type of thing that is very powerful. Yeah, same with Kaza, of course, and we already mentioned that. Okay, well, to the listeners, what is your favorite new legendary creature from Zendikar Rising? 
Are there any cool interactions or combos that we just completely missed? Let us know in the comments, tweet at us, post on our Instagram, whatever you want to do to get the message out. You can also email us or if you're our Discord uh, as a Patreon member, you can let us know there too. Yeah, just let us know anywhere that you can find us. Uh, and if you want to find any of these cards that we talked about today, if you want to build a new deck around any of these cool new commanders, if you want to get your hands on the Zendikar Rising a booster box, these sweet a collector's booster, modal cards, yeah, these modal dual face, double faced uh, land cards that you're going to go in a lot of your decks. Just go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. You know you're going to buy these magic cards anyway. And if you just use that affiliate link when you do, you really are simultaneously getting the cards you need for your deck and just incidentally supporting the content that you enjoy. We really oh. appreciate everybody that does that. Yeah. Yep. And when you get those cards, of course, sleeve them up in Ultra Pro, put them in a hard shell case or just into the new glossy eclipse sleeves into a sweet deck box onto an awesome playmat. Theme your stuff. Ultra Pro gives you the option to do so much with your cards. So once you're done building your deck, the journey doesn't end there. Are you going to theme out your playmat? Are you going to get one of those sweet blank playmats and then get oh, artists yeah. at a Magic Fest to draw and sign on them? There's a lot you can Someday do. Someday when we can go to Magic Fest yeah. again. Uh, don't forget also to buy the Epic Play playmat. Still on Kickstarter, but for a very, very limited time, the timer is running out quickly. The links are going to be in the show more box below. Make sure you do that. When you don't, well, you're not going to get this playmat. And when someone else whips it out in front of you, you're going to be like, darn, that is an amazing, beautiful Ultra playmat with the art by Jesper Ising, world-renowned artist. So don't forget, and also support Ultra Pro because you're supporting this show. All right. Uh, we're going to skip the end step today because this episode is already really, really long. And the next ah, episode is going to be a separate really, review, really which will also be very, very long. So we're going to let you all go. Thanks for watching. Oh, wait. Got a shout out. Special thanks to the our peeps. editing, graphics, and logistics team, which is Manson Lung, Craig Bunchett, Ashlyn Rose, Lady Danger, Alfred Estaca, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Sam Waldo, and Patrick Nunn. Yay. And of course, Jeffrey Palmer. Big thanks. You do the living card animations behind us on set. They start our show. And also, Sam Waldo has made some of the animations that end our show and also some of his live behind us. You can find Jeffrey online, though, at Living Cards MTG. Whew, this episode is so long. I was just trying to end it early. <laughs> I'm done with it. I'm out. Bye. Bye. Peace. Peace. <laughs>